Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for Coast Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hughes, and now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Got a great podcast for you in the second segment. We are going to be just taking a look at everything on the college basketball betting board, and we're going to be starting bank shots a little bit earlier today because I'm not in Lovey Las Vegas. I want to blind. My brain is going on me because I was on an airplane for much of the day, and I'm now in Greenville, Wisconsin, here for a buddy's wedding. You know that you're a good friend when I will attend your wedding during the middle of college basketball season on a weekend. So you've got that going on there. So we're going to be doing two portions of bank shots. We do have a lot of games, typically on Thursdays anyway. So that'll split that up a little bit more. So we're just going to be doing those into the second and third segments in Las Vegas rotation order. So we're going to keep it a little bit more brief today and probably going to be going through a couple of guest-free podcasts just until I wind up getting back to Las Vegas this weekend. So just be on the lookout out there. If you do have questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you for this podcast, you got one or two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at squirty one Keep in mind, letters am. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline and the other ways find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're about firing whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Via that five-star review, let's take a look back at everything that we wound up seeing in college basketball on Wednesday, as I really didn't get any questions aside from what we wound up seeing on the action yesterday. I tried to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. One of the top over teams in all of college basketball hits yet another over as Manhattan. They are able to get the job done and they are able to win outright against the Stags of Fairfield by a count of 74 to 67 for Manhattan. They have played 16 overs, 6 unders, and a push. So 72.7% of their games that have not been pushed have wound up going over the total. They've been playing a lot of games with a lot of fellow shooting, and this is a team that in past years they were absolutely terrible at the free line. This year they're shooting well over 70% at the charity stripe, so that has really been a little bit of a determining factor out there. When it comes to what you've been able to get with regards to the top 25 teams, you've been noticing that one has been just plowing the rest of them. That'd be Gonzaga. A 20-point win wasn't even close to a cover for them. 86-66. to They might have taken down Pepperdine, but Lying on this game wound up closing anywhere between 30 and a half and 31 as Gonzaga. They wound up going just 4 of 18 from 3-point range, and they still won by 20 with Pepperdine being able to go more like 6 of 20 from distance. What a lot of people don't know about Gonzaga is that with regards points a lot on a per-possession basis, top 20 team in all of college basketball, Hunter Mallet 
got 25 points for Pepperdine, but even on Gonzaga's B game, they wind up winning this game by 20 with Chad Holmgren being able to give you 18 points, 17 boards, 4 blocks. So another dominant performance out there. Auburn, they weren't necessarily looking dominant early. If you wound up getting in very late on this game, you were able to get a push on 14 as there was a time span in which it looked like Vanderbilt might be a real customer to be able to win this game outright as Vanderbilt at one point got up 8 in this game, but the game winds up landing 94-80 to 80 with regards to the finalized. You wind up seeing a lot of overs out there in the SEC. For Auburn, Jabari Smith, 31 points in this one. He was able to look absolutely amazing going 7-10 to 10 from 3-point range. Overall, Auburn, 11 of 22 from 3-point range. You wind up getting another 8-block performance from this team. And for Vanderbilt, you did wind up having the Commodores go just 5-19 from 3-point range and really got the cover on a lot of numbers because they wound up going 25-32 of 32 at the free throw line with Scotty Pippen Jr. Contributing a 14-16 of 16 effort at the charity stripe with 19 points. Auburn, another 8-block game for them, so they looked relatively solid. And they themselves went 21-26 of 26 at the free throw line, overcame 17 turnovers to be able to do a relatively solid job in this one and be able to get a couple pushes for a few people. Purdue, they wind up going on the road to Northwestern, and they're able to cover five and a half in a lot of spots if you wind up getting a six. This wound up being a push 70-64. to 64. We've been noticing a few more unders in Purdue games recently. This has been, now I believe, the third straight under in a Purdue game. They wind up going just 8-21 of 21 from three-point range Northwestern. Just feels like whenever the calendar turns from one year to the next, they wind up starting to struggle. And this game, they wound up going just 35% from the floor. This is as good as Purdue's defense. It's looked in quite a while. Northwestern just 10 turnovers in this game, and they actually didn't do a terrible on the job on the glass. They wind up losing that battle by kind of 39-34, to 34, but take a look at this Purdue team. Even though you didn't have that one headliner for this bunch, you did have Zach Eady give you 14 points, 4 assists, 8 boards, so a lot of good versatility out there. You wound up seeing UConn be able to look very solid against Seton Hall by kind of 70-65. to 65. They were able to get past them. Bryce Aiken, once again, out of the fold for the Seton Hall team, and when it comes to Seton Hall, they're a team that they have been very inconsistent with regards to their shooting. They go 9-23 from 3-point range, but UConn, they overcome going 12-20 at the free throw line at 4-18 of from 3 by being able to have Adama Sinogo a go-go. 20 points, 16 rebounds, 3 blocks. UConn is one of the best rebound rate teams in all of college basketball. They showed that once again on Wednesday night as they wound up being able to win the rebound battle by kind of 41-31. to 31. Rutgers at home has been just money. Aside from really that loss that they wound up taking against Lafayette earlier this season, which adds ancient history at this point, they've been rock solid. 70-59 is the final in this one as Illinois goes to 6-23 of 23 from 3-point range for Rutgers. They do wind up committing 14 turnovers, but they did a great job with Ron Harper Jr., Chipping in their 16 points, 8 boards. Cliff Amarui has been able to give you right around 15 points, 13 boards. He wound up having a pair of blocks in this contest as well. And then when it comes to Illinois, a team that's been so reliable from distance, wound up having a grand total of 4 points out of Alfonso Plummer. They wound up having Jacob Granderson go off for just 5. So clearly they wound up having some moves in that. You wound up seeing out there in the SEC some late performances to be able to get some overs. Georgia winds up scoring 20 points in the final five minutes. So if you, like me, wind up having the under in Georgia versus LSU, that got torpedoed 84-65 to the final against an LSU team in the top three in all of college basketball. The guards points allowed on a per-possession basis. If you, like me, wind up taking the DK Nation pick of the under in Alabama versus Mississippi State, this was absolutely brutal. You wind up seeing a couple technical fouls that wound up hurting this game. And then you were able to couple that with 16 points in the final minute to be able to push this one over 80-75. to 75. 
the final as you do wind up having for Alabama another relatively poor three-point shooting effort. This is a team that has collectively they're shooting about 27% from three in their home game, 6 of 30, but they wound up going 18 of 23 at the free throw line, Mississippi State, 17 of 19, just a case in which you wind up having a lot of late game fouling, push this game over. Alabama, to their credit, they were able to win the rebound battle by a count of 48 to 36. Alabama wound up closing in this game right around a six-point favorite, so Mississippi State was able to get in there thanks to late game fouling. They were down nine points with about a minute left, so it did allow them to be able to get the cover in the spot, and the good news for Alabama is they're starting to get a little bit more off the bench. You did wind up having Darius Miles along with James Rojas be able to combine for 21 points, and for Mississippi State, they have been able to get quite a bit out of Tolu Smith ever since he's come back, but he did wind up falling out of this game as it was very much a foul fest all across the SEC on Wednesday. You did wind up seeing some other interesting results like St. John's going on the road, being able to take down Xavier by a count of 86 to 73. This is a Xavier team that it always feels like they do this every single year, and Julian Champagny, 27 points for a St. John's team that they were without Posh Alexander in the starting lineup, but were able to get him off the bench. You could tell that he wasn't necessarily 100%, but was able to give the team 8 points, 4 steals, 4 assists as St. John's. They wind up being able to get 12 steals as a collective. You did wind up having Xavier go with a little bit of a shorter 7-man rotation, and didn't seem to work for the team as they wound up losing the rebound battle by kind of 34 to 29. What else has been very interesting to take a look at is one of the worst teams out there in all of college basketball in terms of cover rate. That'd be Winthrop. They were able to get a nice win over Gardner Webb by a count of 81 to 78. Gardner Webb team that entered into the day in the top 50 with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. And with Winthrop, it has been very much a little bit of a trying year for them, but they improved to 8 and 15 against the spread. So they were able to get the job done in that one. Another game that was a very much intrigue, Notre Dame. They wind up being able to get it done against Boston College in a game that went completely harebrained. 99 to 95, the final. As you wound up having these two teams combined to be able to go 18 of 44 from three point range in Notre Dame. They went 33 of 39 at the charity stripe to be able to get it done in this one for Boston College. Just 11 turnovers. Meanwhile, for Notre Dame, just 10. And you wound up having a grand total of two block shots between these two teams. So, not necessarily a forte of either team was low post presence. Miami, they look very good in this game against a Louisville team that they have been one of the biggest fades in all of college basketball. Louisville winds up having their against the spread record drop to 7-17-1 with their 70-63 to loss against Miami. I have no idea, by the way, why this line was only 2.5, but with that said, for Miami, they did a solid job of being able to persevere despite going just 7-25 from 3-point range because of Louisville. They went 2-13 from distance. Louisville, they turned the ball over 10 times in this one, but for Miami, you wound up having four guys in double figures be able to get it done out there in an ACC that all of a sudden it's looking more and more like we're only going to be able to get two or three bids out of this conference as North Carolina as a two-touchdown favorite. They wind up losing outright to Pittsburgh by kind of 76-67 for Pittsburgh. They wound up leading this game after the first 10 minutes of the contest throughout for Pittsburgh. They wound up going 10 of 17 from three-point range. Ethiel Horton, 5 of 5 from distance, 19 points. And for North Carolina, they go 7-26 from the outside, they did a solid job of being able to play relatively even up on the last winning that battle by a count 29-28. Just makes absolutely no difference when you wind up having a guy like Horton did for Pittsburgh wind up going scorched earth on the other team. A team that tried to go scorched earth, that would be Boise State, and they were able to do so against Air Force 85-59, to the final avenging a non-cover that they wound up having earlier in the year as Boise State shoots 68.8% from the floor, and a team that has been shooting about 64% in the free line, they go 9 of 9 at the 
charity stripes. So I had to like what you wanted seeing from them. SMU has been dealing with a couple of ailments of their own. You wound up having in this game Kendrick Davis be out of the fold for SMU, and they struggle without him, losing to Temple by kind of 64 to 57. So that is an injury that is very much worth monitoring. If you like me, wound up having Marquette. This was a brutal non-cover. 77 to 66 was the final for Georgetown. They go 11 of 33 from three-point range. Meanwhile, Marquette they wound up going 12 of 33 from three-point range. Marquette wound up getting upwarded by kind of 45 to 36. But reason why they were able to do so good in this one is that Georgetown just takes some really bad shots in general. They went 29% from the floor, and yet he still almost had a shot with a total of 154 and a half. Reason why Marquette was a little bit of a tough one, though, is that they wound up getting up in this game by kind of 24 points with about 13 minutes left. Georgetown able to weasel their way back and able to get a cover. Act. Marquette was up by kind of 17 with a little bit over a minute left. So give a little bit of credit to Georgetown for continuing to fight, but certainly that was a little bit of a strange one. What else has been very strange? Taking a look at some of the action out there in the SoCon, you wound up having Furman get 100 points up on Western Carolina, 103 to 85. They were able to get it done in that one. St. Bonaventure has actually been looking a little bit better recently as well to go to the Atlantic 10. 83 to 71. They're able to take down UMass for the Bonnies. This is now four straight covers for them. So a team that has been dealing with a very thin rotation has been able to find a way to be able to mix and match and we're always looking to mix and match when it comes to totals and sides in Vermont. It's been one of the better over teams in all of college basketball. Just a 71 to 50 performance. They were able to take down New Hampshire. Big reason why you wound up having a little bit of a shortage of scoring for Vermont in this one is that Ryan Davis, team's top score, was out of the fold in this one. So another injury to monitor. And what else we're monitoring is what we're all noticing in college basketball when it comes to trends over the last 30 days. Home underdogs are not faring as well as you typically would like to see. 273, 276, and 8 against the spread over the last 30 days. That's 49.7%. You typically expect that to be a little bit higher. And you expect a couple more unders. 768 overs, 762 unders in this time span. So once again, right around 50.5% there. If you're taking a look just at the last 7 days in college basketball home underdogs, 58, 73, and 3 against the spread, 44.3%. I tell you right now, that's going to rise, and you're going to see more unders as we've seen a 53.5% hit rate to the over in line seven days, 194 and 169. So we're going to be taking a look at that over the next few days, and we're going to be taking a look at the college basketball betting board up next. We're going to go guest free today because I'll end up having a long flight from Las Vegas to the great state of Wisconsin. And coming up next, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the Las Vegas betting board for this college basketball Thursday as we get some bank shots. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, 
the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here in lovely Greenville, Wisconsin for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops And with just rolling in today, having gotten off a flight and everything like that, decided to do a little bit of a solo podcast today. And we do have a relatively large slate of games, as I'm seeing it right now. We've got right in the neighborhood about 65, 66 games. So we are going to be keeping this one guest free today. Just going to be doing two portions of bank shots. Going to get through as many games in the first section of the normal Las Vegas betting board as humanly possible. Then the extra games are going to be at the back end along with the back end of the normal Las Vegas betting board. And the reason why I wind up going in Las Vegas rotation order is because a lot of books and apps do wind up listing the games in this order themselves. And on top of that, if you ever come out to lovely Las Vegas, rather than saying, oh, I want to bet on Iowa laying the points, you'd instead be giving out the rotation number of 758. So that's why I do it in this way. And let's get to it. Let's hit every game on the Las Vegas betting board. Picks and analysis, side and total on all of them as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. This begins with 741, 742 on the betting board. Minnesota is going to be hitting the road face off against Penn State. Penn State has signed themselves a six-point favor with your total on this game in between 125 and 125 and a half. I want to make in this line four and a half because these two teams actually wound up hooking up about a week or so ago. Minnesota was able to get the better of that. And I do think that this is a little bit of a tough matchup for Penn State. You take a look at this Nate Lions bunch, and they do a relatively solid job down low. John Rohr has been able to give you 10.5 points, 9.7 rebounds per game in the last game against Minnesota at 12-9. So he was certainly able to hold his own at Penn State. They lost that game by six points in Minnesota despite shooting 54.5% from the floor, 8 of 15 from three-point range. The big thing for Minnesota is that they're just so darn efficient. They wound up having three turnovers in that game. Now I think that they're going to turn the ball over more than three times in this spot, but you've got a pair of teams that they're relatively slow, they're relatively controlled. you got a Penn State team that they only generate right around five steals per game, and then we've got Sam Sessions, a couple with Jalen Pickett. Both of these guys combined to be able to give you 24 points per game for Pickett. He's been able to give you a little bit over four assists per contest, has been relatively efficient within himself. A combined four turnovers in the last five games, but I do think the Minnesota holds in there because gotta love what you're able to get out of your two frontline scorers and Jameson Battle Couple with Peyton Willis. These two guys give you a combined 32 and a half points, a little bit over 11 boards. Willis chips in there 4.3 assists per game, and these two guys, along with EJ Seams, they'll shoot between 36.4 and 42.2% from three point range. It's a Minnesota team that has collective. They shoot about 36.5% from three. Penn State has their struggles from beyond the arc. I do think that things are going to be relatively controlled. You've got a pair of teams that they rank outside the top 250 with regards to possessions per game, and Penn State has really been doing a good job of being able to take the air out of the ball. So, I wound up saying the total at 
a 126.5. It is a spot in which I think we went a little bit too low because I do think that there were going to get late game falling, but certainly I do expect a low scoring game. So looking at the over, and when it comes to Penn State, was only one layup to 4.5 for them, so taking the points with Minnesota. 743, 744 on the bang board. UNC Wilmington is going to be playing us to Towson. Towson's between a 2.5 and a 3 point favorite. Still saying we're between 135 and 136. Made Telson a three-point favorite, so going to be one to lay two and a half with them. When it comes to this Tigers bunch, they are one of the top 55 teams with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis. They have been doing a very solid job there. And then you take a look at UNC Wilmington, and all of a sudden, it's a bunch that has really been able to put up the points. North of 70 points at each other last four games after they were rather pedestrian towards the beginning part of the season. For UNC Wilmington, they don't necessarily do one thing great, but they just do a lot of things solid. As you take a look at their top four, all these guys give you between 2.9 and 2.5 assists per game. All give you at least 0.9 steals per game as a collective. They turn the ball for 10.7 times per contest. And you take a look at UNC Wilmington, all of your top four scores shoot at least 35% from three point, which with only one guy shooting above 38% from three. That'd be Shaquem Phillips. He's been able to give you 12 points per game at home. is shooting 58% from three-point range. So he's been able to light it up. Jalen Sims has really been the headliner for the team. 15 points, 5.5 boards, 2.5 assists per game. But it really is a well-rounded effort. Then you take a look at Towson. And Cam Bolden has been holding it down in all facets for the team. 14 points, 8 boards, 2.7 assists per game, 1.8 sales per game. Leads the team in all four of those categories. You got to tell us much that they shoot 36% from three-point range. They only turn the ball over 11.5 times per game. You do have a guy in Nick Timberlake that I like. He's been able to give you 13.5 points. Able to chip in their 4.5 boards right around two assists per game with Towson. They can be a little bit sketchy with their defense, but still a top 100 team with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. UNC Wilmington, they've been able to shape up with this aspect as well, but I do think that you're going to be able to have this Towson team be able to get the job done because last time these two teams wound up playing, you wound up getting a little bit of a nip and tuck game in that one. UNC Wilmington was able to get the job done in overtime by kind of 81 to 77 in that game. They had to erase a double digit deficit in the second half, and I just don't think that they're going to be able to have quite that much magic. Did wind up saying this little at 135 Towson and UNC Wilmington, both outside the top 250 with regards to possessions per game. So I'm going to take the 136 under and I'm going to lay up to three here with Towson. 745, 746 on the bang board. Buffalo is going to be in the road face off against Eastern Michigan. Eastern Michigan find themselves between 8.5 and 9.0 underdogs. Your Charlton's game, you're going to be finding it anywhere between a 151.5 and a 152.5. Have we not learned our lesson with Eastern Michigan? This is a team that they rank in the top 15 with regards to possessions per game, so they've been playing relatively up-tempo, and you got a pair of teams that aren't playing a whole lot of defense right now. Buffalo ranks right around 165th in the country with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. Eastern Michigan, 251st, so that is a big, giant issue. When it comes to Eastern Michigan, I do like what you're able to get out of Noah Farrakhan. He's been able to give you 16 points per game, shooting right around 40% from three-point range, but it's a Eastern Michigan team that they're going to have a tough time down low. Josh Umbala has been able to do a very good job for Buffalo. He's been able to give you right around 8 boards. He's been contributing 12.5 points per game. Able to shoot three, so doesn't necessarily shoot them very well, but has been able to shape things up in recent games after dealing with a couple of ailments. You've got Jonathan Williams, who's been able to give you 19 points, 5.5 boards. He shoots 44% from three. Buffalo's hole. They shoot 33.5% from the outside. They do turn the ball over 13.5 times per game. And for Eastern Michigan, they themselves have been a little bit turnover prone with right around 14 per contest, but they are not a team that they force a lot of seals, really. Neither of these teams do. I do think that Nate Scott along with Monte Scott are going to be able to do a relatively solid job in this game. Both of these guys combined to be able to give you about 19.5 points per game. Scott 
Monte Scott is able to give you right around two assists per game. Nate Scott, more around five and a half boards per game, but I do take a look at Buffalo. I do think that they should be able to get the job done relatively convincingly, but I do think that nine is a little bit too far here. Eastern Michigan, not great, not terrible at the free throw line, right around 71.5%. Same could be said for Buffalo. And I do think that Eastern Michigan going to have a little bit of a revenge on the mind after they've lost 102 to 64 the last time these two teams wound up playing. I want to saying my total 156. I'm going over. And Buffalo made them an eight and a half point favorite, so we'll take nine here. 747, 748 on the main board. You've got Troy in the road face off against Appalachian State. App State is a four-point favorite. Totals anywhere between 127.5 and 129. When it comes to Troy, you want up saying them as a two-point underdog, so I'm going to be willing to take four here with Appalachian State. This is just not a team that's very good on offense at all. With Appalachian State, you certainly have been able to get some good production of your main scorer and Adrian Delph. Delph has been the elf for this team with right around 17 points, 5.5 boards, shooting 39% from 3, but Appalachian State as a whole, even though they only turn the ball over 10 times per game, they shoot 66%, the charity strike, 32% from 3, and they're in the bottom 40 with regards to possessions per game in all of college basketball. Then you take a look at Troy and that core play is a little bit sketchy with this team. Duke Dean has been able to give you 9 points, 3 assists per game, shooting in the mid-30s from 3-point range. Troy is collective. They shoot 71%, the charity strike, 32.5% from 3, generate 8.5 seals per game with Duke Miles being able to give you 2.5 seals Game. He's been out for much of the campaign, but has been able to come back for the team and has been able to do a relatively solid job whenever he's been out there, but certainly has been in and out of the fold. But you do take a look at what you're able to get down low out of Zay Williams, getting right around seven boards, eight and a half points per game. That's impactful. Guy that on the road is currently shooting about 47% from three point range. You take a look at this Appalachian State team, and it's just worth thinking that Justin Forrest at some point was going to be able to find it, but I think that we need to admit it to ourselves that this is not the same guy that averaged 17 and a half points per game two seasons ago. He's had seven points or fewer in four of the team's last six games, so certainly has been a brutal state of affairs. He's shooting 25% from three-point range at home. I think Appalachian State gets the outright win just because they do a better job of being able to control the ball, but I think that this is going to be a relatively sloppy game. Did wind up setting this total at a 127. I'm diving under, and with Troy Bullen take four with them as I set them as a two-point dog. 749, 750 on the bang board. Ekron is going to be playing us in Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois, a 12 to 12 and a half point underdog. So this game is 125 and a half. With Northern Illinois, set them as a 13-point dog. This is an Akron team that I've actually been relatively impressed by. They can be a little bit inconsistent, but... Got a pair of guys in Ali Ali, couple with Xavier Castaneda, who are combining to be able to give you 26 half points per game. You've had Enrique Freeman do a terrific job down low. 13.3 points, 11.3 boards, 1.3 blocks per game, and then Ali and Castaneda both shoot 39.5% from three-point range. Yeah, Akron, you know, shoot about 66.5% at the charity strike, but you only turn the ball over 12 times per game. This is a slow and controlled team. They rank in the bottom 50 with regards to possessions per game in Northern Illinois. They just rank in the bottom 50 in all of college basketball with regards to points scored on per possession basis. Now, the good news for this Northern Illinois team is that they've been able to shape up a little bit more. This is a team that has been able to get a little bit out of Keyshawn Williams. Williams has been able to do a nice job being able to give you 16.5 points per game, shooting 36% from three, 19 plus points in four of the team's last five games. So, High watermark there, but don't have anything down low. Anthony Crump is the only guy on the roster that's giving you more than four boards per game. Other guy that gives you 3.9 boards per game. That'd be Trenton Ankerson, 11.5 points to go along with it. Chips in there, two seals per game. And for Northern Illinois' credit, they do generate right around 6.5 seals per game, but they shoot 67% at the free flying Caleb Thornton's able to give you 8.5 points, shoots 36% from three, but really nothing to speak of down low for Northern Illinois. 
for Northern Illinois as well with having an inefficient offense. They couple that with a defense that ranks 259th in the country with regards to possessions per game as well. So it is a spot in which I do mind saying Akron is a 13-point favorite. I'm willing to lay it here. We'll set this total at 127 just because I do think that Akron is going to take it to a porous Northern Illinois team. And Northern Illinois, to their credit, has been scoring a few more points recently. So going to be taking a look at the over and willing to lay it here with the zip. 751-752 on the Bangor. Marshall is going to be playing us Old Dominion. Old Dominion is a one-point dog in your tallest game. And between 145.5 and 146. Six. Got an Old Dominion team in the bottom 75 with regards to possessions per game and a Marshall team that plays at warp speed. They're in the top 20 with regards to possessions per game. It's a spot in which I want to say this total at 142.5 and for Marshall, they have been cataclysmically bad against the spread this year, but we're going to be trusting in them. Set them as a three and a half point favorite for Marshall. They've only been able to cover about 25% of their games this season, but I think that this is a bad matchup for Old Dominion because you do have a trio of guys at the top for Marshall that all give you at least 4.3 rebounds per game. Then you've got Tavion Kinsey and Andrew Taylor who are able to combine to be able to give you nine assists. Kinsey, 19 and a half points per game now. With Marshall, they only shoot about 20.5% from three point range, but Old Dominion, they're not necessarily much better. Old Dominion, they shoot 29 9.8% for 3, 67.3% at the free line. They do a good job of being able to take care of the ball. Kalu Azikpe, coupled with Austin Trice, are able to give you a combined 24 points, 14 boards per game, and then KJ Kaiser, he chips it in there, 36% for three-point range, 14.5 points per game. Makai Long is able to give you some of them boards, 8.5 points per game, but also a team that they don't necessarily generate a lot of seals. Marshall, typically their hallmark has been generating seals. They're only generating 7 per game this season. Instead, they've had Obiana Onchili Killian, who's been able to give you 13 points, 6.5 boards. He's been able to do a great job with 3.1 blocks per contest, but has been tailing off a little bit more recently. He has had a combined four blocks in the last five games for this team, so you tell that there's been a little bit of cooling, but I do think that what is really going to be able to carry the day for this Marshall team is having guys like David Early, who are starting to see more minutes, starting to be able to chip in there a little bit more production in the backcourt, being able to get it done for the team. So for Marshall, they wind up setting them as a three and a half point favorite. I think the things are going to be slowed down a little bit more. Set this total at a 142 and a half, so diving under to go along with Marshall. 753, 754 on the bank board. Florida International is going to be playing us Middle Tennessee State. Middle Tennessee is a four-point favorite in your tallest game. And between 138 and 140, Florida National is still playing at a top 100 pace with regards to possessions per game. They've just been a little bit less efficient. But Tevin Brewer is someone that jumps out to me as being a difference maker for this team. A gentleman that has been able to give this team 15 points, 6 assists, shooting 38% from three-point range now. A big thing for Florida National is that they've always been able to generate swipes but hasn't been able to take care of the ball themselves. They're not generating as many swipes this year. Six and a half seals per game with 14 turnovers per game. That's not necessarily too terrific but for FIU, each of your top three scores do shoot at least 35.6% from three-point range. They are able to shoot about 70.5% at the charity stripe. Cloven Brown, only guy on the roster that's really giving you more than four and a half parts per game with eight and a half points. 5.3 rebounds per game, and then you take a look at Middle Tennessee. They themselves don't have a single guy that gives you more than five rebounds per game. I will say this. Among your top four scores, you do have three of these guys generating at least four rebounds per game. Donovan Sims, along with Eli Lawrence, are able to combine for about 21.5 points per game, 8.5 boards. Both of these guys shoot 32% from three as a collective Middle Tennessee. 75% the charity start 32.5% from three. They generate 8.5 seals per game with each other top five scores, giving you at least one per contest, but I do feel like this run that they've been able to have, it's been built on a little bit of sand. You do get 1.3 blocks per game uh, to Folly Leonard. I feel like he's really been an under-the-radar cog for this team. who's been able to do a solid job down low for them. Just chips in there a little bit of this and that. With that said, Florida National has been a team that has been a little bit more pesky recently. You've got a Middle Tennessee bunch. That you take a look at them, and they have 
really a top five cover rate in all of college basketball, covering darn near 80% of their games. But I do feel like they've gotten a little bit overvalued here. Set Florida National is just one and a half point favorite, so won't take the points in this spot. Set this total at a 141 and a half. Got a Florida National team that is playing relatively fast. Middle Tennessee State, they rank in the top 125 with regards possessions per game as well. And I do expect some late game falling. So take a look at the over, and I'm going to be taking a look at the points. 755, 756 on the banking board. Drexel lets the road face off against William & Mary. You don't just give William. You don't just get Mary. But if you take the drive, you get 7.5 points with them. And your total house game is 14, 139.5 and 140. But I'm saying Drexel is a 6-point favorite. Haven't liked this team as much ever since James Butler has been really injured slash seeing limited minutes. They've had to do a little bit of mixing and matching down low for this team. Now, the one constant they have for Drexel is the point guard in camera. Winter has been winter time all season long. 15.5 points, 5.3 boards, 5 assists per game. But he only shoots about 29% from 3-point range down low. You do have Amari Williams, who's been able to give this Drexel team 9 points, 6.5 boards, Guy that has been able to shoot about 50% for three, obviously a small sample size, but as we would do, a solid job down low, six plus rebounds in five out of the last six games for the team. And you take a look at Butler, I mentioned a little bit earlier, was averaging darn near a double-double before getting injured. And he has had for the team a combined... 13 rebounds in the last four games has given the team a combined, I'm not even kidding here, seven points in the last three games. So it's completely fallen off the table. You were expecting a little bit more out of Mate Okoros, who's only been able to give you right around six points per contest, eight points or fewer in each of the last five games that he's played in. So that's a little bit of an issue now. Xavier Bell, coupled with Malik Martin, they are able to combine for 22 points per game. Martin's able to shoot 41% for three-point range, but you take a look at William and Mary. I like what you're able to get out of Ben White along Connor Kachera, 23 points, right around 10 and a half boards per game for Kachera. He's able to give you see on after contest now with William and Mary. Still turning the ball over a lot at 16 and a half times for contest, but it has been a little bit better for this team. You take a look at both of these squads, and neither is necessarily too efficient on the defensive end, especially this William and Mary bunch with William and Mary. With regards to points allowed on a per possession basis, they do rank 290th in all of college basketball. Drexel has been a team that has been ranking more around 233rd, so makes it very interesting with regards to handicap on this one because with William and Mary, they've been able to bump things up a little bit more. With being able to take care of the ball, they've been able to learn how to play without Quinn Blair, so it is a spot in which I did wind up setting Drexel as a six-point favorite, so won't take north of touchdown in the spot. Made my total 142 as well, so we're going to be taking the over as well. 757, 758 on the bank board. I was going to be playing us in Michigan. Michigan's a five and a half point dog in your tallest game. In between 151 and 152. I wound up saying my total of 149. Got a Michigan bunch that they rank in the bottom 75 with regards to possessions per game. So they've actually been able to turn things down a little bit more. And with Iowa, they have been one of the best over teams at all of college basketball. Nearly 75% of their games have gone over the total. But I do think that Michigan is going to be a team that holds up at the point of attack because you've got Hunter Dickinson. Dickinson has been able to give the team 18 points, 8 boards, has been able to shoot threes as a 7-foot-1 combo player. At right around a 39% clip, he has been absolutely terrific for the team, chipping in their 1.2 blocks per game as well. Now with Iowa, not necessarily a stalwart on the defensive end, but you do have Keegan Murray, a top five player with regards points per game in all of college basketball. The guy that's able to give you 23 points, eight and a half boards per game. And under the radar, what Iowa has been able to do is they've been able to generate turnovers. They're a team that they're getting a little bit over eight steals per game. So even though they're a team that they don't necessarily do the world's greatest job with regards to on-ball defending, they've been able to do a nice job there in Michigan. They do rank 199th with regards to points a lot on a per-possession basis, but I do think that things are going to be throttled down a little bit more in this game. 
Flow Robaicha. So maybe we give this Iowa team 6.6 boards per game. You've got Jordan Bohannon now shooting about 37.5 for a separate three Iowa's collective. They turned the ball over 8.8 times per game with regards to turnovers on a per possession basis. One of the best teams in all of college basketball. They shoot about 76% at the free line, but I do think that Michigan is going to be able to hold in there because I do like what I'm seeing out of Devontae Jones. Guy that's able to give you 9 points, 4.5 boards, 4.3 assists, shooting 35% from three. Michigan as a whole, they shoot 72% the charity strike, 35% from three. I think they go on the road and don't think that Michigan gets a job done, but I set this line at five, so getting five and a half, I'm going to be willing to take the points here with Michigan, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total under as I set my total at 149. We move on to 759, 760 on the betting board. Chattanooga is going to be playing us UNC Greensboro. Greensboro is a 10 to 10 and a half point underdog. Tallest game is any 14, 125 and a half and 126 and a half. When it comes to Chattanooga, set them as an 11 and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it with UNC Greensboro. I'm just out on this team. With UNC Greensboro, I don't understand why they've been so well valued because they only generate right around six steals per contest. They're a team that when it comes to three-point shooting, it's not necessarily strong. They turn the ball over nearly 13 and a half times per game, despite being in the bottom 50 with regards to possessions per game. Now, you got one very good player, Demonte Buckingham for this Greensboro team. 13 points, six and a half boards. He's able to give you a steal per game, shooting 44% for three, 84% the free line for Greensboro. They do shoot 73% the free line with each other top five scores, shooting at least 74.7% at the charity strike. And now they are shooting more like 34% from three-point range, but you really don't have a lot of rebounds for this team. Other than what you're able to get out of Buckingham, you've got one guy that's able to give you more than 4.6 boards per game in Baz Lighty, who chips in there more around 8.5 points per contest. And then you take a look at Chattanooga, and Malachi Smith is one of the most underrated players in all of college basketball. 20.5 points, 6.5 boards, 1.7 steals per game, shooting 40% for 3, 82% the free line for a Chattanooga team that they rank in the bottom 50 with regards to possessions per game, but they knock down 35% of their threes, 75% of their free throws. They have been dealing with a little bit of an injury to Silvio De Sosa. Has been missing ever since Groundhog's Day, but even with them out of the fold, this team has done a nice job of being able to mix and match. Darius Banks is someone that's able to step up down low for the team at 24 points, 9 boards in the last game against Furman. Really the reason why they were able to get that win. David Jean Baptiste is able to give you 14.5 points, 2.5 assists, a little bit of a seal per game. He chucks it in there at 39% from 3-point range, so I do think that Chattanooga going to be able to get the job done even without having this Sosa in the fold. This is a total in which I did wind up having clocking in, in there at 120.5. UNC Greensboro has been a tad bit better with regards to their offense. You take a look at it, 68 plus points in each of their last three games. Chattanooga is a team that they do a great job on defense, but at the same time they're one of the more efficient offenses that you're going to find in college basketball as well. So one will lay up to 11 and a half here with Chattanooga and take a look at the over 761, 762 on the betting board. UIC, Illinois, Chicago. It's the road to face off against Youngstown State. Youngstown State, a 5 to 5 and a half point favorite in your tallest game. And we're doing 143 and a half and 144 and a half. When it comes to UIC, I do wind up saying them as a 5 and a half point dog, so I'm going to be willing to lay the 5 here with the Youngstown State. With my Youngstown State, you've got a UIC team that they just don't necessarily match up well with teams that are a little bit disjointed. And by that, I mean with Youngstown State by Kokuchi. So they will give you right around 14 points, 8 rebounds per game. But it's a team that they're a little bit hodgepodge They get right around 12 assists per game, but not really that one main floor general for this team. You got one guy in Luke Chicone who's been able to give you more than 2.5 assists per game, and he gives you 2.6 assists per game. Has really been an afterthought in the offense. But when it comes to Youngstown State, they do shoot 76%. The charity strike 34% from 3-point range. Taylor Olson along with Dwayne Cole. These two guys have been able to combine for about 26 points, 9 boards per game. Both of these guys combined to be able to shoot about 82% of the free throw line, 36% from 3-point range. Jameer Thon Mays to be able to shoot 40% from distance with his 8 points per game. And then for UIC, 
Kevin Johnson coupled with Demario Franklin have formed a good bond out there in the backcourt with Johnson 13 and a half points, five boards, a little bit over a seal per game, shooting 35% for three, and Franklin 18 points, right around two and a half assists per game. And for you, I see 12 turnovers per contest, much better than they did last season, but also a team that hasn't necessarily been able to do a ton on the glass. Jace Carter for the year has been give you right around five rebounds per game and to his credit. Six plus boards and eight plus points in each of the last four games, shooting about 38% from three-point range. And Drew Rowe games, Jalen Warren was expecting a little bit more out of him. Does give you three and a half assists per game, but also shoots 25% from three. UIC is a collective. They shoot 31.5% from distance, sub-70% at the free line. So I do think that Young Sound State going to be able to do the little things to be able to get the job done in this one. Young Sound State outside the top 250 with regards to possessions per game. As a result, said this total 137.5, diving under and willing to lay up to 5.5 here with the Penguins. 763-764 on the bank board. Cincinnati, we are on to Cincinnati. They're on to playing also Wichita State. The Shockers are finding themselves in between 2 and 2.5 and point underdogs. 12 saying 14, 132 and 134. With Cincinnati, set them as a four and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it. I just have not really been impressed by this Wichita State team. You do take a look at the Shockers, and you still have a guy in Ty ATN who's able to put the ball in the basket right around 15 points per game, but efficiency is way down. Last year, he shot 39% from three. This year, 33% from three. Now, what I will say about ATN, his road numbers are really good 19 and a half points per game, and he's throwing it in there at a 38.5% clip. He's been able to give the team at least 20 points in now three of the team's last five games. But you take a look at what you're able to get. I have Jeremiah Davenport coupled with David DeJulius. These two guys have been able to combine for a little bit over 28 points per game. DeJulius, he's able to give you right around 2.5 assists to only 1.5 turnovers per game with Davenport. Shoots 38% from 3. Now, Cincinnati's old. They shoot just 67.5%. The charity stripe 32% from 3. But last time these two teams wound up playing, it was at the roundhouse. Cincinnati was able to get the job done because they are very efficient. 10.8 turnovers per game. You don't necessarily get a ton of rebounding out of the scene. But now you've got Victor Lahan, who's back in the fold. He's able to give you a little bit over four boards per game. At home, winds it going up to more like five rebounds per game. And then you've had Micah Adams-Woods do a solid job out there in the backcourt as well. A little bit over three assists per game. Not a great three-point shooter, but really good glue guy. And it's a Wichita State team that don't have a lot down low with this team either. Murray Soduzzi, 10.5 points, six boards per game. Ricky Council, 11.5 points, five boards per game. You've got pretty much everyone on this Wichita State team. All giving you between like four and a half and six rebounds per game. You've got one guy that's done a nice job doling out three and a half assists per game and Craig Porter, but as a collective Wichita State, they turn the ball over 13 times per game. They do shoot 74 and a half percent. The charity's right for just 32 and a half percent from three-point range. I think Cincinnati gets a job done at home as they rank at the top 50 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. Wichita State has been a little bit more hit or miss themselves. Wichita State has been still rock solid on defense as they rank in the top 35 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. So, have been able to hang their head on that, but at the same time, not necessarily doing a whole heck of a lot on the glass. So, it's a spot in which I do wind up making Cincinnati a 4.5 point favorite in this spot, so I'm going to be willing to lay it with them. I do wind up saying this total, much like we wound up seeing in Game 1, a little bit lower on this game as well. Set it at a 132.5, so I'm going to be diving under, and I'm going to lay it here with Cincinnati. As we move on to 765-766 on the betting board, College of Charleston is going to be playing us James Madison, the Dukes. Between a 6 and 7 point underdog total on this game, and between 154.5 and 155 when it comes to Charleston, wound up setting them as a favorite of 5 points in the spot. So I'm going to be taking a look at the Dukes when it comes to James Madison. Certainly has been a program that has been a little bit up and down this season, but I do think that they're going to be able to generate some turnovers in this game. It's a Charleston team that is committing a little bit over 15 turnovers per game, and then when it comes to the Dukes, they've done a nice job being able to get right around 10 seals per game themselves. You've had Vero Morris do a good job of being able to lead the offense, giving you just under 16 points per game. A guy that 
has been able to shoot from three prior which we're around 36% overall, but on the road that winds up going to 39%, shoots 88.5% at the free throw line in road games as well. 15 plus points in each of the last five games. One turnover fewer in four of the last five games as well. Then you do take a look at College of Charleston. You've been able to get a lot out of Renee Smith, coupled with John Meeks. Both of these guys have been able to combine for a little bit over 27 points per game. You've got Smith and Meeks both shooting above 80% of the free throw line. Charleston as a whole. They shoot 73.5% the charity stripe, 33% per three. And I will say, they do give you right around 8.5 seals per game. Demetrius Underwood, 10 points, 6 boards, 3 assists, a little bit over 2 seals per game. He's done a nice job of being able to pack the statue for this college Charleston team, but I do think that when it comes to James Madison, they will be able to hold in there because Charleston, they don't necessarily do a great job on glass themselves. James Madison has been hurt by the fact that you don't have a single guy giving you more than six rebounds per game, but you've had a bunch of guys who have been able to give you right around five to five and a half, someone like an Alonzo Sewell. Maybe we give you right around seven and a half points, five boards per game. Just Amadi, nine and a half points, five point four boards, right around seal and a half per contest. That should be able to keep a James Madison team that is a collective. She's right around thirty-five and a half percent from three-point range. Only turns the ball over twelve and a half times. Very live in this game. I did wind up saying the total one fifty-five. I do think that you're going to get an up-tempo game as Charleston. They rank in the top five in all of college basketball. The guards possessions per game. James Madison, their team that they rank in the top one hundred as well. So here at one fifty-four and a half, heck, even up to a one fifty-five. We'll take a look at the over, and I'm going to be taking a look at the points with the Duke. 767, 768 on the betting board. You've got Elon, and they're going to be playing us to Delaware. Delaware is finding themselves anywhere between a 3.5 and, and a 4.5 point favorite, and you're trolling this game. Going to be getting it anywhere between a 141 and a 142.5. Um, when it comes to this total, do I am saying it at a 140.5? You've got a Delaware team that they do rank outside the top two arm with regards to possessions per game. And Elon, not necessarily a team that is trucking it down the court either. So I do think that with just the sheer amount of possessions you're going to get in this game, it's not necessarily going to be too terrific. Now, I will say both of these teams do rank in the bottom 100 with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. But Elon has been able to shape up a little bit more with their defense. And then when it comes to Delaware, you do have a guy in Dylan Painter down low who's been able to do a very solid job with 14 points, 7.5 boards per game. A guy that is not going to be able to stretch a floor too much, but is able to give you 1.3 blocks per game with regards to this Delaware team. You do get quite a bit in the backcourt for this team as you've had Ryan Allen be able to give you right in the neighborhood about 12 points, shooting 36.5% from three-point range. Now, you do want to note that Dylan Painter is dealing with a little bit of an injury. It would not be surprising if he either does not wind up going or is a little bit hampered in this game. So, expect to see a little bit more Andrew Carr, 10 points, 5 boards, been able to shoot 30% from three-point range. So, let's be able to do a solid job. Be able to get the job done there. Jameer Nelson Jr., coupled with Kevin Anderson, have been able to give you a combined 26 points, a little bit over 8 rebounds per game. You get about 6 assists as well. And then with Nelson Jr., it's been able to shoot 35% from 3-point range. You get about a seal and a half per contest out of both of these gentlemen. But with Elon, what I do like about them is that you've got the Hunters, Hunter Woods, and Hunter McIntosh. Woods, 6.5 points, 4.5 boards, 2 assists, shoots 35% from 3, and then McIntosh. He shoots more like 39% from 3-point range, giving you 13 points per game, so he's been able to do a very terrific job with that aspect with Delaware. Did I end up setting them as the underdog in this spot because I do think that having Dylan Painter banged up certainly does hurt them, and with Elon, I do like the way that someone like Darius Burford has been able to come on recently, being able to give you 12.5 points, 3 assists, shooting 36% from 3-point range. Michael Grime has formed himself into a nice presence, being able to give you 9 and a half points, 
6.7 rebounds per game. Last time these two teams wanted to play, Delaware was just barely able to get the job done by kind of 80-77 to 77 in that game. You do wind up having Delaware shoot 39% from three-point range. I don't think that they're going to be able to duplicate those numbers. So I'm going to be taking a look at the under, and I'm going to be taking a look at the money line of Elon. Some 69, some 70 on the main board. Georgia State is going to be playing us at Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern is finding themselves as a 9.5 point underdog. Your tallest game is a between 129.5, seeing size of 130.5. And when it comes to Georgia State, I did wind up seeing them as a favorite of 9 points. So now that we've got the hook on this, I'm going to be taking a look at the points with Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern has been a team that has been having a little bit of difficulty recently. You do have Elijah McCaden, though, it's been able to give you 12 points, four boards. Not a guy that's going to light it up from three-point range, but he and really the rest of Georgia Southern do a good job of being able to force a couple turnovers with Georgia Southern. They've been able to come up with 7.7 steals per game. Now, they themselves turn the ball over 50 times per game, shooting 29.5% from three, nearly 68% at the free line. But then you take a look at Georgia State. They've only shot about 31.5% from three-point range. Kane Williams just has not been able to get it going with regards to his outside shooting. 12.5 points, 3.7 assists per game, but at home is currently shooting 18% from three-point Point range has been able to give you 12 plus points so far the last five games, so has been able to just put the ball in the basket in general, but outside shooting has been tough from Elisume Izume has been able to give you 8.2 points, 7.2 boards, so he's been able to hold his own down low for this Georgia State team on it missing the first 11 or so games of the season, then been able to get right around 12-ish points per game out of Justin Roberts. He and Corey Allen have been able to shoot about 34% from three-point range. Allen has been able to lead the way with 14 points per game, but then take a look at this Georgia Southern team, even though you only have one guy that's able to give you more than, I would say, about 5.5 rebounds per game in Prince Iambi. 7.5 points, 5.5 rebounds per game. I think that this team will do a halfway decent job in the backcourt. You've been able to get about 35% three-point shooting to go with 9.5 points per game out of Kamari Brown. Brown is someone that has been impressed me with nine plus points in three of the last four games and has turned the ball over just once in that time span as well. So I do think that Georgia Southern going to be able to cut down on the turnovers. I think that they're going to be staying alive in a game against the Georgia State team that has been surprisingly a little bit more slow. I do think that they're going to be able to pump up their tempo a little bit more. Set this all at 133. So I'm going to be willing to go over and Georgia State going to make them a nine point favorite. So I'm going to be taking a look at the points as well. 771, 772 on the betting board. You've got South Alabama and they're going to be hitting the road to face off against Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina is finding themselves as a one-point underdog in your tallest game. Going to be getting it at a 135.5 to a 136. When it comes to this Coast Carolina bunch, I did wind up saying them as a 2.5 point favorite. I'm going to be taking them on the money line when it comes to Coast Carolina. I like what you're able to get out of Isam Mustafa, guy that's been able to give you 9.5 rebounds, couple with 14 points per game, also 1.2 blocks per game. Has been not necessarily in the best recent form. Has given the team eight rebounds for three and three of the last four games. A total of eight points in the last two contests. But you've also had Rudy Williams coupled with Vince Cole being able to control things out there in the backcourt. These two guys combined to be able to give you 29 points. Williams is able to give you three and a half assists per game. Both gentlemen combined for 2.6 steals per game. But both shoot at least 42.9% from three-point range for Coastal Carolina Bunch. They shoot 36.2% from three-point range with South Alabama. It's been a relatively effective team, but you don't have a lot of depth with them. K.O. Gonsalves is able to come in and give you seven and a half points, four boards, shoot 36% from three-point range as a whole. You've got a bunch that they shoot about 70% the charity stripe. They shoot right around... 33.5% from three-point range. I will say, you do have J.J. Chandler, a couple of Charles Manning, being able to combine for 33 points per game. Chandler is able to shoot about 36.5% 
from three-point range, and they do combine for about six assists per game as well. Javon Franklin, right around seven rebounds per game down low, but I do think that Coastal Carolina has much better depth when it comes to this team. Mustafa should be the most unstoppable force down low, and then when you're able to throw on there someone like Wilfred Lakay, who's able to give you five and a half rebounds, six half points per game, and Abrima Diba with his six assists per game, Coastal Carolina should be able to get the job done in the spot. So, looking at Coastal Carolina on the money line, did why I'm saying this total at a 136F as you've got a South Alabama team in the top one. 25 with regards to possessions per game with Coastal Carolina as well has been relatively effective. So, going to be taking a look at the over and I'm going to be taking a look at the money line as we move on to game number 773, 774 on the betting board, IUPUI in the red face off against Robert Morris. Robert Morris find themselves between 14.5 and 15 point favorites. Dolan's game is Zagreb team 122 and seeing size 123.5. For good old Ewe Pewee, our good friends, putting the PU and IPUI, I don't think that it's going to be a good result for them. I did wind up saying them as a 20-point underdog. IUPUI is currently playing with six healthy players. It has just been really sad to watch. They have been able to hang in a few games recently, but I don't think that Robert Morris is going to be able to give them that privilege, as you've had ever since Regime done going out of the fold with 13 points. Four assists per game. A few guys be able to step up in the backcourt. Cam Ferris has been a little bit banged up. He has been more of the three-point shooter for the team. Giving you nine and a half points per game. Being able to shoot 43% from three-point range. But if you have Michael Green the third, the transfer from Bryant. Really do a good job of being able to give it out for the team. Right around 3.2 assists per game. Ten and a half points. Guy that shoots right around 32% from three-point range. So nothing demonstrative there. But it's been able to do a good job of being able to cut down on the turnovers. He's had a combined 10 of them in the last five games. Then when it comes to UEPUE, you've got yourself B.J. Maxwell. He's been able to give the team 12.5 points, five boards per game. He's been really solid at being able to give this team a little bit of production because really nobody else on this IEPUI team have been able to do so. You've got nobody else giving you more than 8.1 points per game. You've got nobody else giving you at least five rebounds per game. And aside from Mr. Maxwell, you've got one other guy that averages more than 3.8 rebounds per game. That would be Nathaniel McClure, who's been able to do a good job of being able to also give this team right around a seal per contest. But with IEPUI, they rank at the bottom 75 with yards possessions per game, yet they turn the ball over 17 times per game. Robert Morris certainly has left a little bit of something to be desired this season on the defensive end. And with regards to points given up on a per-possession basis, they do rank 318th. But I think this is certainly going to be able to help out those numbers. I do want him saying Robert Morris is a 20-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay. When it comes to this total, I do want him saying it at 124. I do think that we went a little bit too low with this game because you do have a Robert Morris team that's relatively ineffective on defense and an IEPUI team that just getting tired right now. So, taking a look at the over, and I'm going to be taking a look at Robert Morris. 775, 776 on the main board. North Texas It's the road faceoff against Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic is going to be finding themselves as a two-point underdog in your tallest game. Going to be getting at out of 123. And when it comes to Florida Atlantic, this is a team that has been a little bit up and down all season long, but they do have some solid three-point shooting. Don't think it's going to be enough in this spot. North Texas, I wound up saying them as a four-and-a-half-point favorite. North Texas does rank in the bottom ten with regards to possessions per game, and they just seem to get their style in every single contest. And Tyler Perry is able to do a great job of being a good sixth man for the team. 13-and-a-half points, two-and-a-half assists, shooting 45% from three-point range, 88% at the charity stripe. Now, when it comes to North Texas, one of your top four scorers,
boards, three of them. Shoot sub 60% at the free line, but Thomas Bell being able to give you 13 points, seven boards, and two and a half assists per game should be able to offset that a little bit. You'll be able to get some relatively solid production as well out of Mr. J.J. Murray. So maybe we'll give you four and a half points, three and a half boards. I got that from three-point range. So able to make 37.5% of his threes overall, 40% whenever he's on the road. Has not necessarily seen a bunch of minutes recently, but I do sense that he could be able to get a few more minutes against a Florian Land team that they've got some good three-point shooting of their own. As you've been able to have Michael Forrest coupled with Elijah Martin be able to combine for 28 points per game. You've got Martin shooting 40% from three-point range. Forrest more around 39%. These two guys also combine to be able to give you 2.8 seals and 4.5 assists per game coupled with nine boards. You don't necessarily have a lot of rebounding when it comes to the Florida Atlantic team. You've got one guy other than Martin who's able to give you more than 4.1 rebounds per game. Maybe Vladislav Gulin with 7 points, 5.2 rebounds comes in as a 7-footer from Texas Tech. I do think that North Texas going to be able to control things down though. That is going to be able to allow them to control this game. Do you mind singing at a 124.5 because you do have a Florida Atlantic team that she's a relatively solidly from 3 power range above North Texas. One will lay up to 4.5 with them. So, length points with the big green and I'm going to be taking a look at this total over 777, 778 on the betting board. Yeah, Murray State, they're going to be playing us to Austin P, the Governators. Between 19.5 and 20 point underdogs in your tallest game. And we're between 130.5 and 131. And when it comes to Austin P, could only wind up making them in underdog is 16 and a half points. So I'm going to be taking a look at the points in this spot. Elijah Hutchins Everett as someone that has been really impressing me. Done a good job down low for the Sassan P team. One that, by the way, is the best in all of college basketball with regards to their under eight. They have played just three overs and I believe that they've had 22 games go up on the Las Vegas betting board. So that shows you how good that they've been to the under. But you take a look at this gentleman and Elijah Hutchins Everett. He's been able to do a nice job being able to give you 13 points, six and a half boards per game at 6'11 has been able to pop a couple threes as well. Shooting 35.5% from three-point range has been able to do a great job of being able to lend a little bit of versatility recently. Now, you do take a look at Murray State and should they be the better team and be able to win this game by a wide margin? Yes, because you've got KJ Williams coupled with Tevin Brown being able to combine for about 34 points per game. Williams has been able to give you 8.5 boards. Brown is able to shoot 38% from three-point range. Trey Annabelle, 9 points, 5 boards, 2.5 assists. He's not necessarily the world's greatest three-point shooter, but take a look at what you're able to get out of Justice Hill. 5 assists, 13.5 points per game, shooting 36% for 3 as a whole. Murray State does shoot 35% from distance. They generate 8 seals per game with each other. Top 5 scores, giving you at least a seal per contest, just 11.5 turnovers per game. Austin P certainly has not been able to do as great of a job of being able to retain the balls. This is a team that, with regards to turnovers per game, is committing right around 14 of them, but you take a look at someone like Cam Copeland, and he's been able to do a good job. He'll give you a little bit over a seal per game, 8.5 points per contest. You've had Caleb Stone Carewell be able to chip in there 11 points per contest as well. Tyreek Silver has become a little bit more pedestrian. He wound up dealing with a little bit of an injury and just really hasn't been himself ever since then. He has given the team a single digit amount of points in now six of the last seven games, but you do still have Carlos Paez who's been able to give you a little bit over three and a half assists to 1.5 turnovers per game. So I do think that Ossipi is going to be able to do the little things to be able to keep themselves in this game. They also shoot right around 71% of the free throw line. So with Ossipi, they wind up making them a 16 and a half point underdog. So I'm going to be willing to take the points. Also, do I make this total 130 and a half? You've got an Austin P team that has been incredibly dominant to the under. So here at 130 and a half to 131, going to be willing to dive under. And I'm going to be willing to take the points. 779, 780 on the bang board. South Florida is going to be playing us to East Carolina. East Carolina is finding themselves a routine to pick them to a one and a half point underdog with your tallest game. And between 128 and 128 and a half with South Florida. I did why I'm saying them as a two and a half point favorite. So I'm going to be willing to lay it here when it comes to East Carolina. 
over the last six games. This has been a bunch that has been in the bottom 15 in all of college basketball. The guards points scored on a per possession basis prior to that. They were actually doing a halfway decent job of being able to get the job done. And then you take a look at South Florida when it comes to a lack of offensive efficiency. They certainly do fit that bill. This is a team that shoots right around 34% from three-point range. Jameer Chaplin, someone that's been able to give you right around nine and a half points. He's been able to chip in their four boards per game. Was out of the fold for the team's last game. And got to figure that that's going to be the same for them in this one. When it comes to East Carolina, this is a team that with regards to points a lot on a per possession basis, they do rank outside the top 200. And on the road, they're giving up right around 13.4 points per 100 possessions more on the road than they are at home. So that is no question an issue, though. I do think that they're going to be able to do a good job down low because you do have a guy in Vance Jackson who stands right around six foot nine has been able to give this team a little bit over six rebounds per game, 13.5 points. From three-point range, is firing in at a 42.5% clip, and on the road, 56% three-point shooting with 16.5 points per game, so he certainly has been able to get the job done there, being able to give you 18-plus points in four of the last five games. And for South Florida, you've got one guy that's able to give you more than five rebounds per game, Russell Chua, the seven-footer from Texas Tech. Tristan Newen has been able to do a good job on the flip side. For East Carolina, being able to supply 17 points per game, he's able to chip in there right around four and a half boards, 4.9 assists per game. Has been able to do a little bit of an okay job from three-point range at home on the road, more like 20% from the outside, but still is shooting about 85% at the charity stripe as well. East Carolina certainly has had a rough go of it with regards to their offense, South Florida. I do think that they are going to be able to get enough out of Caleb Murphy. He's able to give you three assists, 12 points per game to be able to hold it down. And then Javon Green, I think, is the next factor as well. Nine and a half points, four and a half boards, a little bit over two assists and two seals per contest. South Florida, no question. Has had a rough go of it on offense as they are one of the least efficient offenses in all of college basketball, but they do rank at the top 80 with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis, and they allow 15 points fewer per 100 possessions at home than they do on the road. So I do think that they are going to be able to get the job done in the spot. Won't play up to two and a half here when it comes to South Florida. Made this total 124.5. I think that you're going to get a low-scoring slog in this game. So take a look at the under and well delayed here with the Bulls. 781, 782 on the bang board. You've got UTEP in the road faceoff against Louisiana Tech. Louisiana Tech has found themselves as 9.5 point favorites in your tallest game. Here between 142 and 142.5. UTEP has been a team that has been looking to form a little bit more of a new identity under their coach, Joe Golding, when he's coming in from Albany Christian. And I do think that things are going well, but you can tell that they're just a step behind Louisiana Tech. And I do think that Louisiana Tech is going to be able to cover this game. I'm up saying them as a 10.5 point favorite when it comes to LA Tech. Gotta love what you're able to get out of Kenny Lofton down low. So we're able to give this team 17.5 points, 10.7 boards, along with the block per game. Boy, at this UTEP punch, you don't have a single guy that has been out there that has really been able to give you more than 6 rebounds per game. Keontae Kennedy, so we're able to give you 13.5 points, 5.9 boards, does chip in there 2 seals per game as UTEP. As a collective, they're able to get right around 8 seals per contest. They do shoot 35.5% from 3-point range as well, with among your 4 top players that have been able to shoot and make at least one three for the UTEP team. You've got at least three of them shooting 35.5% from three-point range. UTEP also does shoot 76.5%. The free throw line, Sully Bohm, has been able to headline this effort, 19.5 points, three assists, one and a half seals per game, and then Jabal Bianimi has been able to chip in there 16 points per contest, but you've really got a big three, and then you don't have a whole heck of a lot else. Meanwhile, Louisiana Tech, they're able to come at you with a wide variety of guys. You've been able to get right around 7.3 boards per game out of someone like David Green. Amari Archibald, along Keeson Willis, have been able to combine for 24.5 points per game, a little bit over 7 boards. And when it comes to both of these gentlemen, they shoot at least 37.9% from 3-point range. LA Tech, they only turn the ball over 11 times per game, despite the fact that they are in the top 100 
with regards to possessions per game. UTEP has certainly been able to shape themselves up a little bit more defensively with all the seals that they have been able to generate. And this is a Louisiana Tech team that they're not quite the same that they were last season on defense, but at the same time, still doing a relatively solid job. So I'm going to be willing to lay it here when it comes to Louisiana Tech. And when it comes to total, I'm on saying mine at a 136.5. I do think that you're going to get a little bit of a slower, more methodical game. And I do think that it's going to be tough for either team to be able to bang through some threes in this one. So going to be taking a look at the under, and I'm willing to lay it here with Louisiana Tech. 73-74 on the bang board. Louisiana is going to be playing us to Louisiana Monroe. All Louisiana's recently as you've got Louisiana finding themselves anywhere between one and a half and two point favorites. Your tallest game going to be getting it between a 138 and a half and a 140 with regards to Monroe. Made them the one and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take Louisiana Monroe as a money line underdog when it comes to this Louisiana Monroe team. You've got Andre 3000 Jones who has really been able to do a nice job in the backcourt for this team being able to give you a little bit under 14 points per game but does chip in there a little bit over a seal per contest. Not a guy that is necessarily going to go scorched earth from three pie range. But then you take a look at the flip side for this Raging Cajuns bunch. And this is not a team that has been able to lay it up from three pie range all season long. Now, with Louisiana, what they do a very good job of is their rebounding. As you've got Theo Akwuba coupled with Jordan Brown. Both of these guys have been able to give you at least eight rebounds for game. Akwuba, 9.2 points, 8.5 boards, right around a block and a half per contest. And then Brown, 15 points, 9 rebounds. She's 41% from three pie range as a whole. You got a Louisiana team that they do commit those 16 and a half turnovers per game. So even though they get right around seven and a half seals per contest, that certainly puts them by in the eight ball with regards to the turnover battle. And this is a Monroe team that they commit right around 12.8 turnovers per game, but they're a team that they do shoot 72% of the free line. You've got a steady backcourt with each of your top three scores being able to give you at least a seal per contest. Russell Harrison, coupled with Kareem Ozier, have been able to combine for 24 points with Harrison chipping in their 5.6 rebounds per game. And I do like what you're able to get out of Elijah Gonzalez. Right around seven points, four boards, four and a half assists, two seals per game. Shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range for a Monroe team that they shoot about 33% from the outside. And I do think that they're going to be able to do enough to be able to control the ball, be able to force some turnovers themselves, to be able to get it done here against Louisiana. So I do mind making Monroe the one-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them on the money line with Louisiana. They do rank in the top one with regards to possessions for game. L.A. Monroe has been pumping up their tempo as well. I do think that you wind up getting a little bit of late-game fouling set this total 145-and-a-half. So going over to go along with the money line. 75-76 on the main board. Arizona Arizona is going to be playing us to Oregon State. Oregon State is finding themselves as anywhere between a 26 to a 26 half point underdog. Utah's game is a 14, 152.5 and 153. Spot in which I wound up saying Arizona as a 23.5 point favorite. I think that Arizona should be a very sizable favorite, but he went to how bad. Oregon State has been this season. I think that we went a little bit too far when it comes to Oregon State. You still do have guys that are able to give you a little bit of fight, and you still have back to all players as you do have a guy in Gerard Lucas who's been able to give you 13.5 points per game. He's been able to shoot about 39% from three-point range as well. Oregon State only shooting about 31% from the outside, right around 67.5% at the free line, but you've been able to have a point guard be able to emerge into Sean Davis who's not willing to kill it on this scene because he's been able to give them 10 points, 3.5 boards, 5.5 assists, Sealing that per contest, not necessarily a great three-point shooter. And when it comes to Arizona, it's a team that has been able to get a little bit more outside shooting recently as they're not shooting about 34% from three-point range, but what's really been able to make them dominate is all that you're able to get down low. Christian Coloco, coupled with Azula Sabellas, 
These guys give you a combined 27 points, 14 rebounds. In the case of Coloco, 3.1 blocks per contest as well. And then you've got some of the Kukur Carissa. So people give you five assists per game. Does wind up turning the ball over a little bit too much, but he's a good creator along with Ben Matherin, who's been able to chip in there 17 points, six boards, a little bit of over two assists per game. I do think that Arizona should be able to win this game and win this game very convincingly against an Oregon State team that they wound up getting their crack against Arizona in the month of January in Corvallis and they came up anything but big, losing that game by kind of 90 to 65. And I think that we could see another relatively good performance here out of Arizona. But I just think we went a little bit too far with this line. I did wind up saying Arizona as a sizable favorite here. I did wind up making them a favorite of 23 and a half points, but can't get there fully with regards to this one. I'm going to be willing to take the points here with Oregon State. Did wind up saying this at 145 and a half as well. We've got an Oregon State team that they rank outside the top 200 with regards to possessions per game, and you do have an Arizona team that legitimately has been one of the best defenses in all of college basketball. This is a team that with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis, they rank fifth. So, I'm going to be taking a look at the under, and I'm going to be taking a look at the points here with Oregon State. 787, 788 on the banking board. You've got Abilene Christian, and Abilene Christian is going to be hitting the road to face off against Sam Houston State. Sam Houston State is finding themselves as a little bit of a favorite at home of two points, and you're finding the total anywhere between 135 and 135 and a half. When it comes to the total, I did wind up making it a 142.5. You've got a Sam Houston State team that hasn't necessarily been overly fast, but you do have an Abilene Christian team that is not afraid to gun it. Now, Abilene Christian has been a team that has ranked in the top 75 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, but you've also got to be keeping in mind that this is a team that when they are on the road, they allow about 14.5 points more per 100 possessions than they do on the road. And this is the same Houston State team that they've just been a little bit all over the place this season. They're a team that they've been relatively solid with regards to their defense. And CV on Flake has really been able to do a good job of being able to generate all sorts of offense for this team. Just under 19 points per game. A guy that shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range. Yeah, the big bugaboo that you got with the same Houston State team is that they have been absolutely terrible at the free line. This is a team that has a collective. They shoot 58.2% on the free line. Flag being able to give you eight rebounds per game. Should be a lot a little bit down low. Tristan Ipe has been able to give you 6.2 points, right around six boards per game. And then you've got Marcus Lampley, a couple with Jalen Ray, being able to give you 19 points per contest. Both of these gentlemen shooting the mid-30s from three-point range. But then you do take a look at Abilene Christian. They are a team that they do a good job of being able to get a bunch of takeaways. They've been able to average 11 seals per game. They only shoot about 31.5% from three-point range, but they do can their free throws at right around a 73.6% clip. You've got Corey Mason who's been able to give you 12 points, just under two assists per game. Emmanuel Allen is someone that has been impressing me a little bit more as well whenever he's been out there. A guy that has been able to give the team a grand total of only about 6.5 points per game this season, but has been able to do a little bit better job when given minutes recently. A combined 20 points in the last three contests and then you've also been able to get some very good play when it comes to backcourt out of Reggie Miller. No, not there, Reggie Miller, but rather a guy that is able to give you right around two and a half assists per game and then Damian Daniels, 3.3 assists per game. Both of these guys chip in their six and a half points per game. They do a good job of being able to be glue guys with this Abilene Christian team and you've got an Abilene Christian team that they're just so unselfish. They really do a good job of being able to play as their own and I do think that it is a case in which the whole is greater than the sum of its parts when it comes to Abilene Christian. Did wind up saying them as a two and a half point favorite. I'm going to be taking a look at them as a money line underdog. And I do think that Abilene Christian, a top 75 team with regards to possessions per game, going to be able to get their tempo. So the total 142 and a half. So going over to go along with the money line, 789, 780 on the banking board. You got Rice and the Owls as we give our own late gift here. Go Owls. They are going to be finding themselves hitting the road face off against UAB. 
UAB is hanging between a 13.5 to a 14.5 point favorite in your tallest game. In between 151, seeing as high as a 152. And when it comes to this spot, I do mind making this line 12.5, so I'm going to be willing to take the points with Rice. The Eagles are a team that they do depend quite a bit on the three-point shot, but I do think that they're going to be able to bury a couple threes here against a UAB team that may have been relatively sought on defense, but at the same time, they do sometimes show their warts. They're a team that they go for a bunch of seals, and if they don't wind up getting those seals, they do allow a couple too many easy buckets. Now, Quan Jackson has been able to do a good job of being able to generate right around two and a half steals per contest and has been a very good piece out there in the backcourt in general for a UAB team that take a look at them as a collective and they're shooting right around 74% at the free throw line, 36% from three-point range. Jackson, I mentioned a little bit earlier, 12 points per contest, five boards, and then you've got Jordan Walker making 40% of his threes, 19.5 points per game to go along four and a half assists per game each of the top five scores. For the CIB team, at least 1.1 seals per game, including KJ Buffin, who's able to give you 10.5.7 boards per game, and then uh, Trey Jamison being able to chip in there, 7.5 boards, 1.5 blocks per game. Do like what these guys are able to bring to the table, but for Rice, I do think that having Quincy Oliveri be able to step up a little bit more is very helpful. A guy that in the last four games that he's played and has given you at least 8 boards and 9 points per game, problem is he has missed the last few contests for this Rice team. So you're going to be looking at Carl Pierre along Travis Evie being able to hold it down. These two guys are able to combine for about 29 points, 5 assists per game, with both being able to shoot at least 40% from 3-point range and 83% at the free line as a whole. Rice does shoot 38% from 3-point range, 73% at the free line. Turning the ball over 13 times is an necessary too terrific and they are not a team that is going to be going out and getting a bunch of seals. They only generate right around five seals per contest. But when it comes to UAB, should they be able to win this game rather comfortably? I do think that despite the fact that it's going to be a little bit of a wrench spot last time, these two teams wound up playing Rice, was able to get the win. I do think that that is going to be playing a little bit of factor that this is just a little bit too much. I wound up saying my line as a 12 and a half, so I'm going to be willing to take the points. I did wind up making this total a 146 at because you do have a UB team that even though they play rather fast, this is one of the better teams with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. So, taking a look at the under, and I'm going to be taking a look at the points. 791, 782 on the banging board. Charlotte, it's a road face off against Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky find themselves anywhere between 8 and 8.5 point favorites in your tallest game. Going to be getting an A-war team 146 and 146 half, seeing a straight 145.5 out there as well. And with Charlotte, did wind up seeing them as a 10-point underdog. It's been a bunch that has really been rough this season because you do have a squad that does a good job of being able to put the ball in the basket. With regards to offensive efficiency, this team has had no issues, but for Charlotte, with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, they're in the bottom 30 in all of college basketball. Jameer Young has been a very good piece for this team. 19.5 points. Five and a half boards, 3.6 assists, has been able to shoot about 38% from three-point range and on the road, more like 43% from three-point range. But with Western Kentucky, you do have Jamarian Sharp. He is the tallest player in all of college basketball at 7'5". He's been able to do a nice job down low. Giving you 8 points, 7 rebounds per game. You do have to like the fact that Evian McKnight has been able to be a good safety suffer for this Western Kentucky bunch. 15.4 points, 5.7 boards, 6 assists. So it's only shoot about 34% from 3, but Western Kentucky as a whole, they shoot 36.5% from distance, 72% at the free throw line, and they do generate a little bit over 8 steals per game. When it comes to Charlotte, you do have good ancillary pieces like an Austin Butler, who's been able to do a good job, give you right around 12 points, 6 rebounds per game. You've got Ali Khalifa, who's been able to give you just under 4 assists per game as well. So you do like the way that Charlotte has been able to play on offense, Charlotte on defense, just an absolute no-show all season long. What I find interesting about Western Kentucky is that this team has sort of flip-flopped a little bit more 
on whether or not they are going to be playing defense as they're right around 160th in the country with regards to points a lot on a per possession basis, but 70 points or fewer given up in four other last five games, including holding this very Charlotte team to 59 points when they wound up playing them a little bit earlier in the month. And I do think that it is a case in which Western Kentucky going to be able to do a solid job of be able to hold down Charlotte in this game. I'm willing to lay up to tenure when it comes to Western Kentucky, so I'm going to be willing to lay the points. Also, did by making the total 144.5, so going to be going under along with Western Kentucky. 783, 794 on the betting board. You've got Southern Miss, and they're going to be playing us UT San Antonio. Meet, meet for the Roadrunners as they find themselves as a two to two and a half point underdog in your tallest game. They're between 136 and 137. When it comes to UT San Antonio, it has been a very rough and trying year for them all season long, and I think that that's going to continue. As I did wind up saying Southern Miss as a three point favorite with Southern Miss, I do think that they're going to have the rebounding advantage inside us. If you're able to have Tyler Stevens be able to give you 15 points, seven half boards per game, and then you take a look at what you'll be able to get out of the transfer that winds up coming in from. St. John's and Isaiah Morin. So it will give you right around 11.5 points, 6.5 boards per game of right around a block per contest, but the outside shooting when it comes to Southern Miss certainly leaves a little bit of something to be desired. They shoot about 32% from three-point range as a collective. You've been able to get a little bit of production whenever a shot. Bolden has been able to take a couple threes, shooting 35.5% from long range with right around 7 points per contest. So has been able to make some contributions when he's been out there, but also it's given the same three points or fewer in three of the last four games. He wound up having an injury to Tay Hardy earlier in the season. Really caused the Southern Miss team to be behind the eight ball, but they're not the only team dealing with injuries. As UTSA, you take a look at this team, and they were without Jordan and Ivy Curry along duo Diang for quite a while. Diang is a guy that should be able to go in this one, but has not necessarily looked like himself recently. A guy that overall this season has been able to give you 13.5 points, 5.5 points per game. Jordan Ivy Curry has been able to chip in there a little bit over 15 points per contest to shoot. 35% from three-point range, but the last time wound up seeing him on the road. He was not shooting well from three overall this season. Shooting about 26.5% from three-point range. You've been able to give this team, if you're Ivy Curry, at least 15 points in four of the last five games that he's played in, but he hasn't played in the last few. It looks like he's probably going to be out of the fold once again, and that means that Jacob Germany, with his 14.5 points, seven boards per game, he's going to need to come into takeover mode, I don't think that that's going to be the case. I did wind up saying this all in the spot of a 133, so I'm diving under. And when it comes to Southern Rest, I think that they're going to be able to win from within, so want to make them a three-point favorite in this spot as well. 785, 786 on the main board. Omaha is going to be playing us to Denver. Denver has find themselves in between one and a half and two-point favorites in your tallest game. Going to be getting it anywhere between a 148 and a half, seeing as high as a 115 and a half. When it comes to Omaha, I did wind up saying them as an underdog of two points in this spot, so I'm going to be willing to lay up to two here when it comes to Denver. Denver has not necessarily been the world's most terrific team, but you take a look at this Omaha bunch. They rank in the bottom 15 in all of college basketball. The guards points a lot on a per-possession basis. They actually haven't necessarily been the most inefficient offense in all of college basketball. As you've been able to have Frankie Fiddler be able to step up for the team, being able to give you 11.5 points per game. Omaha as a whole. They do share to about 34.5% from three-point range, 72.7% at the free line with 13 turnovers per game. That's passable. And you've had Felix Lametti, along Nick Ferrini, who both been able to combine for about 21 points per game, do a solid job there. And for Omaha, each of your top three scores just shoot at least 80% at the free throw line. Then you take a look at Denver, and it's been all about KJ Hunt and what he's been able to do for the team. 15.5 points, 4.5 boards, 3.5 assists, seal per contest. Mike Ian is able to chip out in there a little bit more down low. 9 points and 5 boards. He's a guy that's in 6'8". Does shoot 40% 
from three-point range. Denver as a whole, they do shoot 36% from the outside, a little bit over 70% at the free throw line. So I do think that Denver in this spot, despite the fact that you do have an Oma team that has been improving a little bit more recently, should be able to get the job done. I'm willing to lay up to two here when it comes to Denver. And when it comes to Soto, did why I'm saying it at a 148 as well. This is an Oma bunch that really doesn't have one dominant score. They also have been having some very suspect play just all across the board with not having a single guy that's able to give you more than five rebounds per game. So, one lay up to deuce here with Denver. Also, do why I'm saying this. So, like I said, at a 148, I just don't know if Oma is going to be able to hold up their end of the bargain on this total, especially with Denver ranking outside the top 200 with regards to possessions per game. So, going to be taking a look at the under and looking to lay up to a deuce here with Denver. 797, 798 on the banking board. Western Illinois is going to be in the red face off against South Dakota State. The Jackrabbits are find themselves as a favorite here of 13 and a half points in your tallest game. You're going to be getting anywhere between a 162 and a 163. And when it comes to this total, it's the highest I've said all season long. I want to make this total a 170 and a half. So I'm going to be taking a look at the over. The reason why I've got such a high total is that last time these two teams wound up playing, you had South Dakota State really turning down for absolutely nobody. That was a game which they were able to get north of 90 points. And I just take a look at the South Dakota State team. And they rank in the top 15 with regards to points scored on a per possession basis. This team is number one in all of college basketball. When it comes to three-point shooting percentage, Isaiah's collective are able to shoot 45% from three-point range. You do now have Noah Friedel back in the fold. He wound up returning in the team's last few games and has been playing very sparingly with regards to his minutes. But if they're able to get anything out of him whatsoever, that's going to be nice because you do have a Taylor Shireman being able to give you 15 points, 8.5 boards, 4.5 assists. He has been absolutely amazing, shooting 46% from three-point range for a team that they shoot 76% the charity stripe, 45% from three-point range. When it comes to Western Illinois, it is a team that they've got a little bit of firepower themselves. Will Carrius has been able to do a good job with Trenton Mason. and be able to combine for about 32 points per game. Mason is able to give you 6 boards, 4 assists per game. Both of these guys shoot between 35.5 and 37% from three-point range. Western Illinois, they just have not been able to do a very good job with regards to their defensive effort all season long. 240th with regards to possessions per game. Then when it comes to South Dakota State, this team also has a lot of work to do on the defensive side of the ball as this team ranks 248th in the country with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. So, got a pair of teams that they play very fast. The South Dakota State ranks in the top 20 with regards to possessions per game. Playing no defense and playing a whole heck of a lot of offense. Luka Badovicic has been able to do a very solid job for this team as well. He's able to give you a double digit amount of points per game with 15 points, 6 boards. Got a Western Illinois bunch at they're only shooting about 70% of the free throw line, but 11 and a half turnovers per game out of them as well. Alex Arians, coupled with someone like a Charlie Easy both of these guys have been able to give you about 16 points per contest. They both shoot about 45% from three-point range, so I do think that South Dakota State going to be able to rack up the points in this one. Could only set the line at 10.5 because I do think that Western Illinois going to be able to hold their own on the glass, even with Douglas Wilson being able to give this South Dakota State 15.5 points, 5 boards per game, so going to be taking a look at the over and we'd we'll be taking a look at the points here with Western Illinois. 799, 800 on the bank board. You've got yourself Arkansas State, and they're going to be hitting the red face off against Texas State. Texas State is finding themselves a 5.5 point favorite in your tallest game. Going to be getting at anywhere between a 132 and a 133 and a half. Texas State. I did wind up saying them as a three and a half point favorite. So I'm going to be looking to take the points with Arkansas State. Arkansas State has a guy by the name of Norchad Ormir. He's one of the most underrated players 
you're going to find an all-of-college basketball guy that has been able to give you a little bit over 11 rebounds per game. That's been the team's top scorer all season long, and he has helped out out there in the backcourt by a few guys who are able to be very good ancillary pieces. You take a look at what you've been able to get out of Caleb Fields, and he's been able to give this team five assists at two turnovers per game, not necessarily lighting it up in terms of scoring with eight points per contest, but that's done a nice job of not turning the ball over and combined six turnovers in the last five games. You've also got Desi Sills, who hasn't necessarily been able to light it up from three-point range, but is a guy that's able to give you 13 points per contest. Does a good job of being able to also give you some good on-ball defending as well. A guy that has been able to chip in their two seals per contest, Mark Seaton, has been able to give you 12.5 points per game. He's able to shoot above 90% of the free line, not necessarily the world's deepest team with Arkansas State, but they're going up against the Texas State team that they themselves have some depth issues. Caleb Asbury, coupled with Mason Harrell, these guys have been able to give mine for 24 points per game. Harrell's able to shoot 39% from three. Asbury, more on 35.5% from three. Both of these guys shoot above 80% at the charity stripe. Nigel Caesar, 8.5 points, 5 boards, has been helpful for the team. And then Isaiah Small, he comes up big. 11.5 points, 7 boards, a little bit over a seal per game. It's a Texas A team that has each other top four scores, being able to give you at least a seal per game. And you've also been able to see Shelby Adams be able to shoot 53% from three-point range. But it's also a Texas State team that they've been a little bit different with regards to what we've been seeing out of them on defense still is able to give you a relatively good effort, but at the same time, 197th in the country with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. It is a Texas A team that they do play slow. They play at a bottom 50 pace in all of college basketball, but with this Arkansas State team, I do think that they're going to be able to hold within the numbers of my line and three and a half, so we're going to be taking a look at the points. So this one on 133 and a half as well. I do think that Arkansas State is going to be able to get to this defense, so take a look at the over, and I'm going to be taking a look at the points. 801-802 on the betting board. UT Arlington is going to be playing us a Little Rock. Little Rock is finding themselves as an underdog in this spot of anywhere between 10 and 9.5 and points in your tallest game and between 132 and 133. When it comes to this Little Rock team, wind up setting them as an 11.5 point underdog. So I'm going to be willing to lay it. When it comes to Little Rock, they have been dealing with some injuries, including the Nikolai Medic, who has been very solid for this team. 14.5 points, 6.5 boards. He had 6 foot 11. Is able to shoot about 30% from three point range. You've got a Little Rock team that does shoot about 74% at the free line, about 32.5%. From three-point range, we got to feel like you're going to be able to get a little bit more out of Isaiah Palermo, who's been able to do a good job all season long. 12.5 points. Chips in there a little bit over a seal per contest, and then you've been able to have Marco Luch be able to pick it up whenever he's been out there. A guy that's been able to give you 11.5 points per game, but has been missing really since the month of January, so team has had to miss a match with him being in and out of the fold. Jordan Jefferson has been a guy that's been a little bit banged up. Has been able to return for the team recently. Nine plus points in three of the team's last four games but with the Little Rock. Other than what you've been able to get out of manage, you don't have a single guy that gives you more than five rebounds per game. And then you take a look at UT Arlington and David Azor has been able to do an amazing job for the team. 20 points, four and a half boards, shooting now 31% from three. This is someone that towards the beginning part of the season, was shooting right around 20% from the outside. He's been able to shoot at least 37.5% from the outside in three of the team's last four games, at least 23 points in all four of those contests as well. A guy that at home actually shoots more like 20% from three-point range, but still subs the stat sheet with 21.5 points, a little bit over six points per game. Whenever he has been at home, Pedro Kaiser being out of the fold has not been able to help this team out, but Nikolai Alim uh, has been able to give you right around 7.5 points per game. 
Guy that has only been able to shoot about 32% from three-point range, but Mr. Leem has been able to do a good job down low for this team, being able to give you five-plus rebounds in three of the last five games. Also has done a nice job of being able to give out nine assists to right around four turnovers in the last three games as well. I do think that UT Arlington has the weapons to be able to take down this Little Rock team quite convincingly. I did wind up setting this line at 11.5, so I'm going to be willing to lay the points. And when it comes to this total, I did wind up setting my total at a 135.5. You've got a Little Rock team that's playing up-tempo, but not necessarily efficiently. And then you do have an Arlington team that actually play at a middle-ish tempo, but haven't been able to find a lot of offense. I'm going to be willing to take the over, and I'm willing to lay it here with the Mavericks. 803-804 on the bank board. Oral Roberts is going to be hitting the road to face off against North Dakota State. The Bison find themselves in between 1.5 and 2.5 and point favorites in your tallest game going to be getting it between 152 and 152.5 when it comes to North Dakota State. I did wind up saying them as a two-point underdog. I do think that Oral Roberts is going to be able to get it done. Max A. Smith has been absolutely incredible for the team dating back to last season when you wind up having Oral Roberts make that NCAA tournament run. He's been able to give you a bit over 23 points per game. Kevin O'Banner is now out of the fold at Texas Tech, but you still been able to get relatively good guard play with someone like Francis Laces, who's been able to give you seven and a half rebounds per game. And when you take a look at this Oral Roberts bunch, each of your top six scores that have made at least one three-pointer this year are shooting above 36% from three-point range. You take a look at what you're able to get out of the other side, and it certainly has been intriguing to take a look at North Dakota State because with the Bison, it certainly has been a bunch that has been looking to Rocky Cruiser, a guy that's saying six foot ten, he's been able to shoot about 38% from three-point range, has led the team in both points and rebounds with 16 points, eight points per game. But you do take a look at this, Oral Roberts team and Elijah Lufile, I think is going to be able to hold his own. He's able to give the CM six and a half rebounds per game. You've got a North Dakota State team that does have Tyree Eady, who's been able to give you two and a half assists per game, and Sam Greasel is able to take a little bit of the workload off of him in the backcourt as both of these guys have been able to do a solid job. Eady, ten and a half points per game. When it comes to Greasel, 13 points, six and a half boards. With Eady, he also gives you five rebounds per game, so they're very much clones of the same guy, but I do think that Oral Roberts is outside shooting, and North Dakota State playing some Aaron characteristically bad defense is going to allow Oral Roberts to be able to get it done in this spot with regards to the total. I did wind up saying it at a 154. I'm willing to go over after Oral Roberts made them the two-point favorite, so going to be taking them on the money line. 805-806 on the bank board. UMKC is going to be hitting the road face off against North Dakota. North Dakota find themselves anywhere between 4.5 and 5-point underdogs. Your tallest game in between 143 and 144. It's a total that I wind up setting at a 140 I'm going to be willing to go over because with UMKC, though they are one of the solid teams out there in college basketball, they certainly have been having their ups and downs when it comes to being able to guard and when it comes to North Dakota. It's been a team that has really been terrible with regards to being able to play any sort of defense whatsoever. 355th out of 358 D1 teams with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, and it just continues to get worse and worse for the team as you've had Mitchell Sucker be out of the fold for darn near half the season for the team. Now, they do have Caleb Nero back in the fold, someone who has been able to give the team a double-figure amount of points per game, has done an okay job, and be able to just shoot out in them. Paul Burns has been able to give the team 15 points, 5.5 boards. He's able to shoot 37% from three-point range, but then you take a look at the flip side for this UMKC bunch, and Evan Gilliard is going to be the most skilled player out there on the floor. Comes in from New Mexico, 16 points, three assists, seal per game. She's 43% from three-point range, UMKC as a collective. They only turned the ball over 10.8 times for contest, so they are relatively efficient on that side of things. They are not looking to get into a 
Bertha 80 style game wins, but I do think that that might be what's dictated to them, and I certainly think that they are probably capable of being able to win a contest like that. When it comes to what you're able to get out of UMKC, I think that's going to be quite a bit. I was willing to set them as high as a 9-point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to lay it here with UMKC. Also, did want to say this total at a 145 UMKC. Not necessarily a team that's looking to gun it, but at the same time, North Dakota, just so bad on defense, I think that you're going to get points plenty. So, take a look at the over, and I'm willing to lay it here with UMKC. 807-808 on the bang board. Belmont is going to be playing us at Eastern Illinois. Eastern Illinois find themselves anywhere between 27.5 to 28-point underdogs in your tallest game. Finding it anywhere between a 134 and a 134.5. When it comes to Belmont, we wound up setting them as a 31-point favorite. So I'm going to be willing to lay the points when it comes to Eastern Illinois. They wound up facing off against this Belmont team. And the last time they wound up playing against one another, they wound up losing that game by 30 points. When it comes to Belmont, certainly has been a team that has been able to do a lot of good things by committee. Grayson Murphy is one of the most meaningful players to his respective teams in all of college basketball, which I find to be stunning because... It's not really too much of a score with right around 8 points per contest, but 6 boards, 6 assists per game, he's been able to do a solid job there. Nick Mazzuzinski, 15 and a half points, 6 boards, he's able to give you a block and a half per contest as well, even with someone like Jacoby Wood struggling this season. This team has not missed a beat as they're able to generate over 8 seals per contest, and when it comes to this Eastern Illinois bunch, and they commit right around 16 turnovers per game, and you don't necessarily have that one guy that's going to be able to stand out and be able to give you good numbers. Keyshawn Charles, 9 points per game. He's right now leading the way with that regard. You've been able to get a combined 16 and a half points per game out of Paul Bizema, and you're able to combine him with what you've been able to get out of Kawan Clemens. Clemens has been able to give you 4.5 assists to 3 turnovers per contest, but you do take a look at this Eastern Illinois team. I do think that Ridolfo Rafino Bolis is give you 5 rebounds per game. He's going to be able to do an okay job in this game, but you just take a look at Eastern Illinois. I think that they're going to get completely pounded like they did the first time around. First time, that was a Belmont victory by kind of 90 to 56. I did wind up setting my line at a 31, so I'm going to be willing to late here with Belmont. Did wind up setting the soda at 143. You've got an Eastern Illinois team that has been one of the best in all of college basketball at being able to play unders, but I do think that you're going to get a little bit more scoring in this game because you do have a Belmont team that I think that they're on a sort of tear in which you're going to be able to get 80 plus in this game, so I'm going to be taking a look at the over, and I'm going to be taking a look at laying the points here with Belmont. 809, 810 on the main board. Samford is going to be playing us to VMI. VMI is finding themselves as a two-point underdog in your Toronto's game. It's anywhere between 157.5 and 158.5. VMI is not necessarily a team that they play necessarily up-tempo, but at the same time, they're a bottom 75 team with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. And you take a look at the Samford team, and they've been able to do a good job of being able to generate swipes right around 8.5 seals per game, but they are a little bit of an all-or-nothing defense as well as this is a Samford team that with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, they rank 283rd. In the country, but you have been able to get some good production out of Quez Glover. Glover is someone I really like because he's been able to give you 18 and a half points per game. Not a guy that is necessarily going to stroke it too well from three-point range at right around 28% from distance, but is able to give you a little bit over four assists per contest as well. 18 plus points in each of the last three games. Can sometimes get a little bit careless with it, but has reduced the turnovers recently. Two or fewer in three of the last five games. Then you take a look at VMI. You've got the combo of Jake Stevens, Camden, Kerfman. These two guys have been able to give you a combined 35 and a half points per game. Stevens is able to give you nine and a half boards and is able to shoot 46 and a half percent from three-point 
three-point range. Kerfman, he's been able to shoot more around 40% from three-point range. You've got Trey Bonham, who's been able to give you 11.5 points, 4.1 rebounds, 4.1 assists per game. So he's been able to do a relatively solid job. And then you take a look at what you've been able to get out of Hunter Huff. He's been able to really be able to emerge recently. 9.5 points per game. A guy that is able to shoot about 37.3% from three-point range. But you take a look at Huff. He's been able to give the team at least 14 points in now four of the team's last five games, and for that matter, he has been able to do so in seven of the team's last nine. I do think the VMI does have enough firepower to be able to get past the Sanford team that has been able to do a good job of being able to force turnovers, but at the same time, you've got a pair of teams that they don't necessarily play up-tempo enough to be able to reach a subtle semi-total at a 154 and a half. I'm going to be taking a look at the under, and when it comes to this VMI bunch, I did mind saying them as a 2-point underdog. I do think that Sanford, on their own floor, should be able to get it done. I'm willing to lay up to two-year with Sanford, so Want to lay the deuce, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total under. We move on to 8-11, 8-12 on the banking board. St. Thomas is going to be in the red face-off against South Dakota. South Dakota is finding themselves in between 10 and 10.5 point favorites in your tallest game. Going to be finding it anywhere down 147.5 and a 149. When it comes to St. Thomas, I do mind up seeing them as a 10.5 point underdog, so I'd be rather laying 10 with South Dakota rather than taking 10.5 with St. Thomas. St. Thomas is a team that they want to begin the year very solid and. I feel like because they wanted to bring a new style to the table, it was a little bit tougher to be getting, I guess, a handle on for a lot of these different teams. Now the Burke is out with regards to St. Thomas. And with St. Thomas, you do have a team that they play very efficiently, only about 8.2 turnovers per game. That's one of the top marks in all of college basketball. They take a bunch of threes. They shoot 36% from distance. They shoot 75% on the free line. But St. Thomas, one of the worst defenses that we're able to find in all of college basketball, despite the fact that they're in the bottom 50 with regards to possessions per game. You notice that their totals are above 150 night in and night out. And you've got a South Dakota bunch. Of, I do think that they're going to do a nice job down low with Hunter Goodrick. Being able to use seven points, seven point seven rebounds for him. Missed a little bit of time, but it's not banging the fold for this team. And then you take a look at what you're able to get outside of him. And I do like what you've been able to have out of Mason Armbacholt along with Cruz Pedio Hunt. These two guys have been able to combine for just under thirty points per game. Both of these gentlemen shoot above thirty-seven half percent from three-point range. As a whole, South Dakota is able to shoot seventy-four percent the free throw line. They only turned the ball over ten times per game, so they've been very solid there. Tasus Camateros has been able to give you ten and a half points. Five and a half rebounds per game at a rough start to the season. But you take a look at what he's been able to do recently. He's been able to give you at least 20 points in now three of the last five games. A guy that really doesn't turn the ball over a heck of a lot. So I do think that St. Thomas is going to have a rough time of it in this one. I'm going to lay up to 10 and a half here with the Coyotes. So I'm going to be laying the points. So at this total, 144 and a half, I do think that with just the super-duper slope style of St. Thomas, it is going to lead to a few more unders. And I do think that St. Thomas... It's both going to be drying up with regards to their offense. I think that they're going to be putting the clamps down a little bit more on defense themselves. So, going to be taking a look at the under, and I'm going to be willing to lay it here with South Dakota. 8-13, 8-14 on the betting board. You've got Southeast Missouri State. They're going to be in the road face off against Tennessee Tech. Tennessee Tech is anywhere between a 3.5 and a 4.5 point favorite, and your turnouts game going to be getting it anywhere between a 152.5 and a 153. And when it comes to the Tennessee Tech bunch, I did wind up saying them as a 6-point favorite. You take a look at Southeast Missouri State, and they're just not guarding a nosebleed right now. Southeast Missouri State does rank in the top 35 when it comes to possessions per game, but take a look at them. 317th in the country with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. It's not like Tennessee Tech is necessarily doing the world's greatest job on defense either at 265th, but with Tennessee Tech, I do like the fact that you've got a couple of key backcourt pieces I do think are going to be able to make a big impact on this game as you've got Keyshawn Davidson along Junior Clay. Clay is a little bit more of the facilitator for the team. He's been able to give you right around 12.5 points per game. A guy that from three-point 
range is able to bury about 32 and a half percent of his threes, 3.8 assists per game, and then Keyshawn Davidson is able to do a nice job being able to give you 10 points, four assists, shoots right around 39 and a half percent from three-point range. Down low, you don't necessarily have a lot with either of these teams. Nigel Russell for Southeast Missouri State is able to give you 6.8 rebounds per game. Amandu Ciela is able to give you more around five boards per game when it comes to Southeast Missouri State. You've got Philip Russell coupled with Eric Reed Jr. Both of these guys give you between 14.8 and 15 points per game. They both shoot between 34 and 35 percent from three-point range. And really, when it comes to Southeast Missouri State's top four scores, they all shoot in that pocket of 34.1 and 35.3 percent from distance. So they've been able to all do a relatively okay job there. But when it comes to Southeast Missouri State, aside from Russell, you don't have a single guy that's able to give you more than 4.3 rebounds per game. Tennessee Tech's main bugaboo has been not necessarily being able to do a good job on the glass. Tennessee Tech only shoots about 66% at the free throw line, but I do think that with not necessarily having a lot to worry about down low, I do think that they should be able to get the job done in this spot. I did wind up saying the total at a 148.5. I do think that Southeast Missouri State is going to try to turn over a little bit of a new leaf when it comes to defense. I feel like they're starting to throttle down a little bit more. This is a Tennessee Tech team that they play fast, but they play rather inefficiently as this is a team that they have been held to 73 points or fewer in three of their last four games that have wrapped up in regulation. And when it comes to Southeast Missouri State, a team that has scored 72 points or fewer in four of their last five games. So looking at the under and a little here when it comes to Tennessee Tech. We move on to 815-816 on the betting board. Tennessee State is going to be playing us at SIU Edwardsville. Edwardsville between a four and five point underdog in your tallest game. You're going to be getting it anywhere between a 136 and a 136.5 when it comes to SIU Edwardsville. Do I have saying them as a six-point underdog? So, going to be one late here with Tennessee State. I did mind saying the total at a 136. So, at the 136.5 that we're seeing right now, I'm going to be taking a look at an under. But, you take a look at this Tennessee State team. You do have a pair of guys that I really like out there in the backcourt for this team. And, they're both juniors. Carlos Marshall Jr. and Marcus Fitzgerald Jr. They're able to combine for 24.5 points per game. Both of these guys are able to shoot above 85%. The free throw line is collective. Tennessee State shoots 35% from three, 71.5%. At the charity stripe down low, you've got Kasim Nicholson. He's been able to give you a little bit over 8.5 rebounds per game. He should be able to plow in SIU at Irvinsville team that they've got their top scorer, Rayshon Taylor, out of the fold for the rest of the season. He wound up tearing his ACL. So that means that you are not left with a single guy that really shoots above 33% from three-point range, and the only guy that shoots above 30% from distance is Lamar Wright. He and his brother, Shamar, have been able to combine for this team right around 16 points per game, 7.5 rebounds per contest. Sean Doss, along with Deshaun Pruitt, have been able to give you a combined 22.5 points, 14 rebounds, but when it comes to this SIUE team, they do turn the ball over 15 times per game. Tennessee State not necessarily masters of being able to pickpocket. They give you right around 6 steals per contest, but when it comes to what you're able to get out of Kenny Cooper, 7.5 points, 3.5 assists per game is to be able to shoot 45% from three-point range. Good facilitator of the ball. I do think the Tennessee State against a shorthanded Edwardsville team should be able to get the job done quite comfortably. Made this line six, and I did wind up making this total 136 at because you do have an Edwardsville team that they do rank in the top 50 with regards to possessions per game, but at the same time, I think that they're going to be throttling way down the word with not having Taylor out there in the fold. So, taking a look at the under, and I'm on a late here with Tennessee State. 817-818 on the bank board. New Mexico is going to be playing us to Colorado State. Colorado State has found themselves anywhere between 7 and 7.5 seven point favorites in your tallest game. In between 153.5 and 154.5. When it comes to this Colorado State team, I did wind up saying them as a favorite of 8.5 points with New Mexico. I've been very impressed by this team. They've been able to cover two-thirds of their games this season. You've been able to get some very good production on the offensive end from 
the duo of Jamal Mashburn and Jalen House. Both of these guys have been able to combine for right around 35 points per game. House has been able to give you 5 assists per game, and Mashburn is able to shoot 35% from 3-point range, and Mexico is a collective. They shoot 35.5% from distance, 75% at the free line, but it's also been a nicely bad defense. They're going to be going up against the Colorado State team that they rank in the top 20 in all of college basketball when it comes to points scored on a per-possession basis. New Mexico just not cutting it on defense or 91st in the country with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. Colorado State not necessarily a themselves at 147th, but you do have Dave Roddy, and he's willing to get very rowdy for this team. About 19 points, a little bit over 7.5 rebounds per game. He gives you 3 assists, shooting 47% from 3-point range. Among your top 4 scores for Colorado State, 3 of them shoot at least 40% from 3-point range. I do think that John Jay is setting that points is big, but Deshaun Thomas has really went under the radar. 6 points, 3.5 rebounds per game. Has been a little bit banged up throughout his college basketball career and has been utilized a little bit more recently against the likes of Boise State and Fresno State. And being able to step up, I think he's going to be able to give the team another to mentioned a lot. Chandler Jacobs, the only guy outside of David Roddy, is able to get the team more than three and a half rebounds per game. He wanted playing a big role in that overtime win against Boise State for New Mexico. They don't necessarily have a ton down low, but they should be able to hold their own against the Colorado State team that they are all sorts of banged up in that aspect. You've had John Allen Tovar be able to chip in there right around eight points per game with Mr. Tovar. He's been able to shoot about 33% from three point range double figures in five of the last five games for Mr. Allen Tovar. But you do take a look at KJ Jenkins as well, being able to give the team 10 points per game is very nice. But I do think that it's a case in which New Mexico just not going to be able to card a soul in this game. Now, it's very interesting with regards to the total because New Mexico plays very up tempo. Colorado State. They're outside the top 200 with regards to possessions per game. So I did wind up setting this total as a result at a 148.5. So I'm going to be willing to dive under in this spot. With Colorado State willing to lay up to 8.5 with them. This will be the last game in this portion of the podcast. And then we're going to have a break. And then I'll be summing up the last few games. 8.19, 8.20 on the bang board. I don't say it's going to be playing us in Northern Colorado. Northern Colorado is finding themselves as a 7.5. Point favorite and your total on this game, you're going to be getting it anywhere between a 145.5 and a 147 half. When it comes to Idaho State, I did wind up saying them as an underdog of 8.5 points, so I'm going to be looking to lay it here with Colorado State. Colorado State has been very dominant with regards to the three point shooting as a collective. They have been able to shoot in the high 30s from distance. You've been able to get very good production out of Drew Cookshausen, right around 12 points per contest. He's able to shoot above 40% from three-point range. And you take a look at other guys on this roster, and it's really been all about down counts counted up. 21.5 points per game, four boards. A guy that's able to shoot 40% from three-point range. Drew real games more like 39.5% from the outside. You've been able to have Kerr Junkish be give you 8.5 rebounds per game. A variety of state, they don't have a single guy that averages more than 4.2 rebounds per game. Malik Porter has been trying for the team. Seven points, four and a half boards. You've also been able to have... Terry Cool really be the headliner on offense for this team. The only guy that's able to give you double figures. 12.5 points per game with Robert Ford III on the fold. He's had to try to do it all for the team. And to his credit, he's been able to give the team a combined 50 points in the last two contests. Problem is he's also had three plus turnovers in four of the last five games because he's trying to create for what is not there. You've been able to get right around 7.5 points per game out of Braden Parker. But Parker is a guy that's all over the place. You've got an Idaho State team that... They shoot 67.5% of the free line, 30% from three. They turn the ball over 14 times per game, despite being outside the top 200 with regards to possessions per game. Not a lot of redeeming qualities with Kerr, Junkage down low, being able to give Colorado State right around 8.5 rebounds per game, despite the fact that this is going to be a game at elevation. There's just no taking Idaho State in this spot. They wind up setting the total at a 144.5. 
very interesting spot because I do think that Northern Colorado has a good chance to be able to get to 80 here, but I just don't know if Idaho State is going to be able to hold up their end of the deal on this total. So, going to be taking a look at the under, and I'm going to be one late with Northern Colorado. Coming up next, we're going to be hitting upon the rest of the games on the normal Las Vegas betting board along with the extra games right here on Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Eves Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for Ghost to Ghost Hoops with myself, Greg Eubes and now part of the Beeson family of podcasts. Got a few games left on the normal Las Vegas betting board to hit, including the DK Nation pick, which is going to be coming up towards the bottom of the board. So we're going to be polishing up these final games on today's card as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. On going no guests today because, well, I'm flying into the great state of Wisconsin out here for a buddy's wedding. So with that said, let's continue on with this as we've got 821, 822 on the betting board. You've got Sacramento State and they are going to be in the red face off against Weber State. Weber State is finding themselves as a 15 and a half point favorite and your total on this game, you're going to be finding it anywhere between a 140 and a 141 when it comes to Weber State. Set them as a 17 point favorite when it comes to Sacramento State. This has been legitimately one of the worst teams in all of college basketball. I do like what you've been able to get out of Bryce Feller. Feller has been able to do a very solid job of being able to stuff the stat sheet for the team as he's been able to give you right in the neighborhood about 16 and a half points per game. A guy that's able to shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range, but take a look at the flip side. For Weber saying you've got all sorts of weapons for this team. Kobe McKeown comes in for Marquette. He's been able to give the team 18 points, right around 1.3 steals per game, shooting 35% from three, and for Weber State, they do shoot just 33.5% from distance, but Siku Sishu Jawara has been able to give you 13 points, right around 1.2 
steals per game. He shoots 44% from three with regards to this Weber State team. Each of your top three scores shoot at least 78% at the free line. Jamison Overton has been able to give you 12 and a half points per game. And when it comes to Weber State as well, they generate eight steals per contest. Each of your top four scores give you at least 1.2 steals per game. Then on the flip side, for Sacramento State, you have been able to get along with Feller a little bit of production on the backcourt from someone like a Zach Chappell has been able to give you 11.7 points per game. Cameron Wobon has been able to chip in there right around nine points, four and a half boards per game. Wobon and Chappell both shoot between 35 and a half and 37 percent from three-point range. With Feller chips in there five boards, 4.2 assists per game, and that's big because Jonathan Comingham is really the only other guy on the team that's able to give you more than 4.7 rebounds per game. And Comingham has been dealing with some ailments recently, has been able to do a solid job with regards to production on the scoring end as well, with 10 plus points in four of the last five games. But that said, I do think that Weber State should be able to take it to a Sacramento State team that they're playing relatively slow, but they're playing relatively inefficiently. I did wind up setting this total at a 141. So here at 140.5, I'm going to be taking a look at the over with Sacramento State now finding themselves with regards to points a lot on a per possession basis, 305th to go along with Weber State laying the points. 823, 824 on the betting board. You've got Idaho, and they're going to be playing as Montana. Montana is finding themselves a 6 half point favorite, and your turnout on this game, you're going to be getting it anywhere between a 143 and a 144, and when it comes to Montana, so a bunch of, I wound up saying them as a 9-point favorite with Idaho. They've actually been one of your better cover teams out there in all of college basketball, and it's a bunch of, they've been able to do a better job on offense this year, as Mikey Dixon is able to give you 17.7 points per game, guy that's able to shoot 43.6% from 3-point range, 87.5% at the charity stripe, but that said, this is an Idaho team that they do turn the ball for 14.2 times per game, you've been able to get some relatively solid production out of Tanner Christensen, a guy that's able to give you 8.6 boards per game and then you've been able to have someone in Mr. Trevante Anderson who's been able to shoot about 32.5% from 3, 14 points, 4.5 boards per game, but that said, you've got a Montana team that you've got Josh Bannon, who does a nice job as a stretchable big man, 14.5 points, 8 boards. He shoots right around 34% for 3, Montana's old. They shoot right around 34.5% from distance, 80.7% at the free throw line. The free throw shooting one of the best in all of college basketball. He turned the ball over just 10 times per game with a solid point card. And Cameron Parker, to be able to give the team 9 points, 5 assists, does not turn the ball over a lot. Shoots 84% at the free line for Weber State. Each of your top five scores should at least 79.8% at the charity stripe. Really, other than Bannon, you don't get a lot of rebounding. And when it comes to being able to get second chances, Montana, out of 358 D1 teams, they rank pretty much really around 58th with that regard. They do not get offensive rebounds, but that said, they do a lot of other things very well. And I do think that Montana is going to be able to get the job done and going to be able to turn over an Idaho team that has been a little bit careless with the ball. I did wind up saying this total at a 145 though Montana is in the bottom one arm with regards to possessions per game. I do think that they are going to be very efficient with it. So, take a look at the over and will lay the points. 825-826 on the bank board. Montana State It's red face off against Eastern Washington. Eastern Washington is finding themselves anywhere between a one and a half and a two-point favorite. And your turn on this game, you're going to be getting anywhere between a 145 and a 145 and a half when it comes to Eastern Washington. I did wind up saying them as an underdog more around the two and a half range. So, it is a spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at Montana State. I've been really impressed by what I've been seeing out of Montana State recently, as this is a bunch that you do have a guy in Jabriah Bell who's been able to give the team 13 points, just below six and a half rebounds per game. Abdul Muhammad, he's able to chip in there six and a half points per game with Muhammad, eight and a half points per game, shooting 48% from three point range. That has been very prolific. Xavier Bishop at the point guard spot has also been able to do a relatively solid job for this team. He's been able to do a good job of being able to give you right around four and a half assists. Shoots 36% from three point range as a well. whole. Montana State, they shoot 38% from three point range, 72. 
2.5% at the charity stripe. And then for Eastern Washington, this is a bunch of they would able to light it up with Sealy Venters along with Linton Alciles being able to give you a combined 32 points per game. Alciles is able to give you 7 boards per game. Venters shooting 45% from three-point range. You've got for this Eastern Washington team, each of your top three scorers shooting at least 77%. The charity stripe has a collective. They shoot 76.2% at the free throw line. You've also been able to have Angelo Algieri be able to give the team 11.5 points, 6.5 boards per game. Ryland Burgesson is able to give the team 13.5 points, 5 boards, 4 assists per game. So that has been solved. But for Eastern Washington, they do also turn the ball over 13.5 times per game. That is a little bit unsightly. I do think that Montana State does have a little bit better direction when it comes to the team with regards to Eastern Washington for a time. They wanted playing against Montana State. They wanted going on the road, and they weren't able to pull the game off outright. They were able to get a cover by kind of 69 to 65, and I sort of think that it's going to be similar in this game, though the line is a little bit tighter, which is why I do think that Montana State winds up getting the cover, and I think that both of these teams are going to eat up from the first time around when neither team was able to shoot 40% from the floor. Did wind up making this total on this game a 148 nap, so going over and one later here of Montana State, 827-828 on the bank board. We've got Houston playing out to Central Florida. Central Florida is finding themselves as a 13 and a half to a 14 point underdog. Seeing a straight 14 and a half out there as well. Total is any 14, 136 and 136 and a half with Central Florida. I did wind up saying them as any 11 point underdog. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Houston. I feel like we wound up getting this team just a little bit overvalued. It's a squad that is still very solid, and you've got to give all the credit in the world to what we've been able to see out of Calvin Sampson and that entire coaching staff, because losing Marcus Sasser along with Traymond Mark and still being as good as they are is insane, but take a look at this team and they're a team that they shoot 65% free line. They only turn the ball over 11.5 times per game. They generate 8.4 seals per game. They rank in the top 20 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. Fabian White coupled with Josh Carlton have been able to give you a combined 23.5 points, 12 rebounds per game, and do have a guy in Tyler Edwards, who's been able to do a nice job out there in the backcourt with 14 points per contest. But then you take a look at Central Florida, and you do have Darren Green Jr. coupled with Darius Perry. These two guys have been able to combine for about 25 points per game. Perry, 4.6 assists per game. These two gentlemen combined to be able to shoot about 38% from three-point range. C.J. Walker coupled with Chuckie Mbake-Jong. It will give you 15.5 points. 11.5 rebounds, and Bakke Jong has been able to give you a block and a half per contest as well. Brandon Mann has been a little bit all over the place, but does generate 1.7 steals per game. When it comes to Central Florida, they do turn the ball over 14 times per game, so that is a little bit of an issue, and you take a look at the last time these two teams wound up playing Central Florida, unable to get the job done against Houston. That was a 63-49 to game. In that one, you wound up seeing Central Florida shoot just 35% from the floor, and they wound up losing the rebound battle by kind of 39-33. to I think that things are going to be a little bit more even up in the spots so I'm going to be willing to take the points here with Central Florida. When it comes to this total, they wind up saying it at a 133.5. I think that you get a little bit of a replay of what we wound up seeing in game one with regards to this tempo. So you're going to be taking a look at the under, and I'm going to be taking a look at the points. A 29-830 is a postponed game between Cal Poly and UC Davis. No money to be made here. So we move on to 831-832 on the banging board. You've got Oregon, and they're going to be hitting the road face off against Arizona State. The Sun Devils are finding themselves as a 3.5 to a 4-point underdog. Your toss game and between 134.5, seeing as high as a 136. And when it comes to Oregon, I did why I'm saying them as a five-point favorite. So I'm going to be willing to lay it here. With Oregon, it has been a very hit-or-miss team all season long. I do believe in Dana Oldman. Look a lot more than I believe in Bobby Hurley, though, a guy that should be up for the Dayton job because he has a lot of experience coaching there. You've got T.J. Horn to be able to give this team 12.5 points per game. He's a guy that has been able to shoot about 37% from three-point range. And then got J.E. He's shooting nearly 40% from distance, being able to give you 10 points per game. You've got Mary Jackson chipping there 9.5 points. 
four assists, one and a half steals per game. But when it comes to guys like Alonzo Gaffney, they haven't been able to come to the forefront. Gaffney has been able to give you a block and after contest, but not necessarily an offensive force. And for Oregon, Infali Dante, a couple with Quincy Garrier, have been able to combine for 11 rebounds, 17 points per game. Will Richardson has been one of the more prolific scorers out there in the back 12, 15 points per game. Gentleman that shoots 43% from three-point range in true road contest has been able to give the team at least 12 points in now five out of the team's last six games. Jacob Young has been able to give the team 11 and a half points per game along to Avian Harmon. Harmon is able to shoot 37% from three-point range. I do think that Oregon is going to do a solid job of being able to get it done in this spot. Neither of these teams have necessarily been doing a great job with regards to their tempo. Oregon and Arizona State both outside the top 200 with regards to possessions per game. Oregon, they're weren't 10th with regards to points a lot on a per possession basis, but Arizona State they actually rank outside the top 300 with regards to points scored on a per possession basis. So it is a total that I want to say at a 133. So diving in under, and I'm willing to lay it here with Oregon 833, 834 on the betting board. You've got yourself Colorado hitting the road to face off against Cal. Cal is finding themselves a one and a half point underdog. Tallest game is saying 128 and 130. And when it comes to Colorado, I do why I'm saying them as a four point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay here. When it comes to Cal, I've actually liked what I've seen out of the scene, but now having Andre 3000 Kelly on the fold with him being able to give the team 8.5 boards and 13.5 points per game, that is a very raw deal for this team. You take a look at what you're able to get at Jabari Walker for Colorado, a guy that is actually the son of Samaki Walker. 14.5 points, 9 boards, shoots 39% from 3-point range in Drew Rowe games, and in Drew Rowe games has been able to average a double-double this season, giving you 15-plus points each of the last three games, 11-plus boards in each of the last four. You've been able to have K.J. Simpson be able to emerge as a little bit of a facilitator for the team. Three assists per game. Tristan De Silva, nine half points per game and six foot ten. Is able to shoot forty percent from three point range. And then for Cal, you do have Jordan Shepard, a little bit more of a volume score for the team. Fourteen and a half points per game. A guy that only shoots so twenty eight and a half percent from distance. Cal's a team that they only turn the ball over eleven and a half times per game. Grant Anti Savage at six foot nine gives you ten and a half points, seven boards per game. But you don't necessarily have a lot out there with regards to ancillary backcourt pieces. Someone like Jalen Sistine. Don't know what to be able to get out of him night in, night out. Eight plus points in each of the last four games. But overall this season, 7.2 points per game. So I do think the Cal going to be up against it here with Colorado. Want to lay up to four with them. And I did why I'm saying this total at 126 half. Cal has been one of the slower teams at all of college basketball. Colorado has been very all over the place with regards to their offense. So taking a look at the under and I'm willing to lay it here with Colorado. 835-836 on the wing. Where San Francisco is in the road face off against St. Mary's. St. Mary's is finding themselves a 2.5 to a 3-point favorite, and your tallest game is between 132 and 132 and a half. And when it comes to St. Mary's, I did wind up making them a favorite of 3.5 points in this spot, so I'm going to be willing to lay it. San Francisco has been an incredibly inconsistent team in recent weeks, and then take a look at St. Mary's, and I feel like you know what you're going to be able to get a little bit more out of this team because they are a team that they rank in the top 25 with regards to fewest possessions per game. They're going to be looking to get their very slow, very methodical approach. Meanwhile, take a look at San Francisco. They're a little bit more of a chameleon in that they're willing to play fast, they're willing to play slow. Jamari Boye going to be the best pure scorer out there on the floor. He's been able to give the San Francisco team 18 points, 5 rebounds, right around 3.8 assists, 1.7 seals per game, shooting 40% from 3, so he does it all for this bunch. And then got a pair of guys in Gabe Stefanini along with Khalil Shabazz. That we will combine for about 22 points per game. Both of these gentlemen shoot above 82% on the free throw line, but when it comes to the St. Mary's team, Matthias Toss has really been able to impress me. 12.5 points, 6 boards per game. A gentleman that doesn't shoot it well from 3 point range, but that's why you've got Alex Dusas. He's been able to shoot 41% from the outside with a little bit over 11 points per game. Tommy Cousy, 10.5 points, 3.5 boards, 3.5 assists, shooting 
45% from three-point range as all. Well. St. Mary's, they shoot 75.5%. The Charity Stripe, 35.5% from three-point range. They've done a good job of being able to cut off the three-point arc, and they've really done a nice job of being able to hold opponents to one and done. They are in the top 25 in all of college basketball with regards to defensive rebound rate. I think that that's going to be playing a big key against a San Francisco team that they've been solid on defense themselves. They rank in the top 30 in all of college basketball with regards to points a lot on a per-possession basis. St. Mary's, they rank 23rd themselves, so it's a good old case of something he's got to give here. I did wind up saying my total at a 131.5. I think that both defenses come to play. I'm going to be looking at the under. And with St. Mary's, I did wind up saying them as a 3.5 point favorite. So, one to here. 837, 838 on the banging board. Portland is going to be playing us to San Diego. San Diego is a 2 to 2.5 two point underdog. So, on this game, you're going to be finding it anywhere between a 136 and a 137. And when it comes to Portland, I've been thoroughly impressed by the job that Shantae Leggins has been able to do with this team. And I did want to make them a 4 point favorite with Portland. What you've got to love is what the team has been able to do at the free throw line. Not beating themselves, being able to hit about 80% of their free throws. They rank the top 10 in all of college basketball there regarding. This is a San Diego team that they've been all sorts of banged up. Getting back Jay Townsend has been big for the team. He's able to give you 10.5 points per game, shooting 42% from three-point range. San Diego, they shoot it right around 71.5% the free throw line. Terrell Brown, 8.5 points, 6.8 boards, 2.7 blocks per game. You've been able to get right around 6.5 points, 4.5 boards per game out of Uvas. Glotkin, so he's been able to do a nice job, and Marcellus Erlington just does it all with 14 points, 6 at board, shooting 36% from 3 point range, but then you take a look at the pilots, and you got a guy, Moses Wood, who's saying 6 foot 8, he's been able to shoot from 3 point range, 44%, giving you 13 points per game, Chris Austin, Tyler Robertson, these two guys combined to be able to give you a little bit over 28 points per game, neither guy it's really prolific from three-point range, but it would be able to get six half rebounds per game out of Robertson. You take a look at Christian Sojlin. Certainly has been up and down for this Portland team, but he does bring a body of six foot eight that's able to pop threes relatively effectively, shooting 35% from three at home, double figure amount of points each of the last three games. Also wound up having an 18 rebound game when the team was able to knock off San Francisco a few weeks ago. So he certainly is a critical piece of what this team is looking to do with Portland. They do shoot about 34%. From three-point range, I do think that they are going to be able to do just enough to be able to get by a San Diego team that has been a little bit improved recently, but I still have my question marks with them. I'm going to lay up to four here with Portland. When it comes to total, I did wind up making it a 136. You've got a San Diego team that has been one of the slower teams at all of college basketball. Portland, somewhere in the middle with regards to tempo. So looking at the over, and I'm going to be willing to lay the points. 839, 840 on the betting board. San Diego is going to be playing us to Hawaii, the Rainbow Warriors. Between two and three-point favorites in your tallest game, they're between 137 and 137F. And when it comes to this Hawaii bunch, has been intriguing to take a look at them on the mainland because they seem to always struggle there. But with that said, I do mind making them a two-and-a-half-point favorite in this spot. With both of these teams, they do rank outside the top 250 with regards to possessions per game. With UC San Diego, it's a team that they started off very strong. They have been fading a little bit recently, though. You do take a look at what you've been able to get out of Tony Rokach, and it's been very solid for this bunch. A guy that has been able to give you a little bit under 16 points per game. He's been able to chip in their seven boards, but take a look at Jerome DeSirius. He's been able to do a good job for this Hawaii team, being able to provide 11.5 points, 7.4 rebounds. Shoots in the low 30s from three-point range. Why is it collective? They shoot 73.5% at the free throw line, 36.5% from three. Bernardo da Silva, so he'll give you 11 points, six half boards, and then Noah Coleman. He shoots 45% from three-point range, and then you've got another guy in Kamaka Hekpa, who's been able to shoot about 40% from three-point range. Hekpa, so he'll give you 9.5 points, five boards per game, and with Hawaii, not a team that forces any seals whatsoever. 3.5 per contest. You've got a UC San Diego team that they're not necessarily out there 
trying to get a bunch of swipes either with 5.8 per game. They shoot about 35.5% from three-point range, but I do take a look at this UC San Diego team. I think that they should be able to hold in this game. Like I said, I did mind saying this at a 2.5 with regards to my line. When it comes down to it, I would rather take three rather than lay two personally, so I'm going to be taking a look at 2.5 to three here when it comes to San Diego. And when it comes to the total, you do have a pair of teams that I do think that just because you're not going to get enough possessions in this game are not going to be able to meet this total. Do you mind setting it at a 134.5? So I'm going to be taking 2.5 plus here with UC San Diego to go along with this total. Under 841, 842 on the bank board. Northern Arizona is in the road face off against Portland State. The Vikings of Portland State find themselves any between 6 and 6.5 point favorites in your Toronto game. You're going to be getting it at a 144 when it comes to this Northern Arizona bunch. I do think that they are turning over a little bit of a new leaf when it comes to their offense, but that said, I did wind up saying them as a 9-point underdog because Portland State, after they were one of the worst three-point shooting teams in all of college basketball, they have been able to liven up in a big way, and I do think that Portland State has the goods to be able to win this game rather convincingly, as I did also wind up saying this total at a 143 with Northern Arizona, just a team that in general has been turning the ball over a little bit too much with 14 turnovers for game. Portland State has been able to see the same thing, but with Portland State, you are able to get a little bit over nine steals per game with this team, so maybe they will do a terrific job with that aspect. You've had Jalen Cohn for Northern Arizona being able to give you 19 points per game. He is someone that is shooting about 37% from three-point range. They do, though, Northern Arizona shoot just 67% at the free throw line. You've got Tarzan Tout, who's been able to give you right around 8.5 points, 8.8 rebounds for Nick Mays, 12 points, 5 boards. He's been able to shoot 41.5% from three-point range. And then for Portland State, even with James G. Marie on the fold, you've had Khalid Thomas do a nice job with 10.5 points, right around 6 boards per game. You've got Damian Squire, who's been able to give you right around 10 points per game as well with Portland State. They're going to shoot about 30% from three-point range, but that has been going up and up and up in recent weeks. And then you take a look at this Northern Arizona bunch of fact that they just don't generate a lot of seals in Portland State is able to create about 9 per contest. I think is really going to be an X factor in this game. Do you mind saying my total? at a 143, so I'm going to be taking a look at the under just because you do have a Northern Arizona team that is relatively methodical with regards to their pace. So, taking a look at the under, I'm willing to lay up to 9 here with Portland State. 843, 844 on the betting board. Cal State Fullerton. It's going to be in the red face off against UC Santa Barbara. The Gauchos are finding themselves as a 5.5 point favorite and your total on this game. You're going to be getting it at a 134 to a 135 and when it comes to Fullerton, it's been an intriguing bunch all season long with being able to get really good production down low as you wind up bringing in their EJ Onisiki, who's been able to give the team right around 17 points, 8 rebounds per game, but that said, I do think that Santa Barbara should be a favorite. Could only make them a 2.5 point favorite, though. Do you take a look at what you've been able to get out of Armando Sao. Sao has been able to do a terrific job being able to chip in their 8 boards right around 16 points per contest. Tries to be a versatile 3-point shooter. Sometimes that is a little bit more hit than miss, so that is something that has been really hurting this UC Santa Barbara team. What else just is, is the fact that they're not quite defensively what they've been past years. You do have A.J. Mitchell. So we'll give you 3.8 assists per game as a collective. You've got Santa Barbara being able to shoot 33.5% from three-point range, but 13.8 turnover per game is relatively unsightly. You've got Trey and Dante Maddox for this Fullerton team. Neither guy's really been able to live up to their billing this year. Both of these guys have been able to combine for about 18 and a half ish points per game. You've got neither of these guys shooting above 32% from three point range. Vincent Lee, so they will give the team eight points, right around six and a half rebounds per game. And I did think that Fullerton has a solid shot of being able to hold in this game. Did I am saying the sold out 136? You've got a pair of teams that they do play relatively slowly, but both teams not necessarily great on defense. Both teams 
relatively efficient on offense. So we're going to be taking a look at the points and the over in this spot. 845, 846 on the bank board. Long Beach State going to be in the road. They're going to be facing off against Cal State Northridge. He's on. Let's find themselves anywhere between six and six and a half point underdogs. Your tallest game is anywhere between 139 and 139.5. And when it comes to CSUN, the team has been a little bit all over the place this season, especially with the fact that they only shoot about 30% from three-point range. But I do think that they should be able to get it done against the CSUN team that they are actually even worse with regards to their three-point shooting percentage. It's a CSUN team that overall for the season, they are shooting about 30.5% from three-point range, 68% at the charity stripe. They do generate seven and a half steals per game as Elijah Hardy. So they will give you two steals, 2.8 assists, and 12 and a half points per contest. You bring in a gentleman from Fordham in Onai Usi. He has been able to do a good job down low, being able to give the team 10 points, 4.5 rebounds per game, but where it's all going horribly wrong when it comes to the CSUN team is the fact that you just haven't been able to get a lot down low for this team. OC has been able to get this team right around 4.5 rebounds per game, and then you do take a look at 8 and right for the CSUN team. He has been able to get the bunch right around 14 points per contest, but Joel Murray, along with Colin Slater, they combined to be able to give you 30 points per game, and for Long Beach State, this is a team that they've really been able to do a great job on defense. They're giving up 66 points or fewer in each other last five games. CSUN, to their credit, they have been able to break the 70 plateau in each other last four games, but I just question whether or not that is actuality or just a case of being able to play some fortunate opponent. CSUN has been able to generate right around 7.5 steals per game, so I did wind up setting the CSUN team as a 6-point underdog. I do think that they're going to be able to hold in this game. Long Beach State has been playing a little bit more controlled recently, so I'm going to be taking a look at the points in the spot. Did why I'm setting the total at a 134.5. I do think that CSUN is going to be able to get their approach of very slow and methodical. So, taking a look at the under along with the points. 847, 848 on the bang board. Cal State Bakersfield is going to be in the red face off against Riverside. You see Riverside is between a 5.5 and a 6.5 point favorite and your total on this game is between 124 and 124.5. When it comes to this Riverside team, I did wind up saying them as an 8 point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to lay it here when it comes to Riverside. They have been a bunch that has not necessarily been able to do a great job of being able to knock down their 3 point shots. It's a team that in general has been able to shoot about 31-ish percent from 3 point range, but that said, you do have Kyle McCray down low. Guy that's able to give you 7 point seven rebounds and nine and a half points per game. You got a Riverside team that they're only shooting about twenty nine and a half percent from three point range. You generate five and a half steals per game, but still have been relatively solid with your are on ball defending. JP Mormon is out on the fold for the team, but Flynn Cameron, ten and a half points, four boards, shoots in the mid thirties from three point range, and then you take a look at the Bakersfield team and certainly it's a whole is greater than some of its parts approach with the team. Jordan McCall coupled with Mr. Justin Elder Davis. Both of these guys combined to be able to give you a little bit over 20 points right in the pocket of about 11 rebounds per game, but you got a very bad three-point shooting team here with Bakersfield as well. 28.7% from the outside. They do generate right around six and a half seals per game, but they also shoot about 69% at the free line. It's a Bakersfield team that they've been really looking to be able to play some solid defense, but instead, they're just playing slowly and they're not necessarily being able to execute on the defensive side of things. You take a look at this UC Riverside team. You can put them a little bit more in this mold, but at the same time, I do feel like they've been able to do a little bit of a better job just thus far this season rather than what you've been able to see out of Bakersfield, a team that is 235th in the country with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. I'm willing to lay up to eight here with regards to Riverside, so I'm going to be willing to lay the points. Got two very slow teams, so I did why I'm saying this total at 124, so 124.5 is the number I'm willing to take under, and I'm going to be willing to lay it here with Riverside. 849, 850 on the bank board. DePaul is going to be playing us to Creighton. Creighton is finding themselves as an underdog of anywhere between 2.5 and, 
and three points. In your Tarlons game, you're going to be finding it anywhere between a 136F and a 137M with Creighton. I'm going to say them as four-point favorite. I'm going to be taking a look at them on the money line with DePaul. I just have not necessarily been overly impressed by this team, and I do think that Creighton has been able to find themselves a little bit more. you got Alex O'Connell, guy that's able to shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range. He's been able to get this team right around 15 points per contest. You take a look at what you've been able to get down low of this team, and Ryan Kalkbrenner has been able to impress me. He's been able to do a good job being able to give this team seven rebounds per game, and Ryan Hawkins has been able to do the same thing. Hawkins has been able to give you 13.5 points per contest. A gentleman that from three-point range has been able to give you about 38% from three-point range, and for Creighton, they do turn the ball for 14.5 times per game, but you've got a DePaul team that may have really struggled to be able to get some turnovers. They get only about six steals per game. Now, Javon Freeman-Liberty sounds like he's probably going to be back for this team. He wound up returning in that game against Butler. Did not necessarily look completely like himself. 13 points, four boards. The team wound up taking the L in that game. So, that is something that you do want to be noting with them. A guy that's been able to shoot about 30.5% from three-point range. And then you do take a look at what you've been able to get out of David Jones. 15 points, 7.5 boards, right around 2.5 assists per game, 1.7 steals, and has been able to do a great job of being able to self the set sheet. And then Nick Ogenda has been able to give you right around 4.5 boards per game himself. Brandon Johnson, 10.5 points, 7 boards per game. And when it comes to this Creighton team, they would be able to do a little bit of a better job of being able to get more facilitation out of Ryan Nemard. 11 points, 4.2 assists, 1.3 seals per game. But once again, a Creighton team that they don't necessarily generate a lot of seals. We've just noticed it with DePaul, the fact that they have really been slowing down their tempo now. When Javon Freeman Liberty was out there, they were a team that was playing a little bit faster. And Creighton at their core, they are a team that they play a little bit more off-tempo. But I do think that sort of these teams are what they are this year. They're playing a little bit slower. So at this total at 134. So I'm going to be willing to dive under. And with Creighton, I want to make them a four-point favorite. So taking a look at them on the money line. And I'm going to be taking a look at this total under 851, 852 on the bang board. Loyola Marymount is going to be playing out to Santa Clara. Santa Clara is finding themselves as a five-point favorite. And your tallest game here between 147.5 and 149.5. And when it comes to the mount, I did by saying them as a four and a half point dog. So I'm going to be taking a look at the five here with them. When it comes to Loyola Marymount, it has been a little bit of a trying year for them. Eli Scott has been absolutely tremendous for the team. Being able to give them right around 15 points, a little bit over six boards, six assists per game. So does a great job of being able to contribute in a wide variety of ways for the team. Kelly Leo Pepe has been able to shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range. Chip in there right around nine points per contest. And then the flip side, you're able to get a lot of production out of the Santa Clara backcourt. Santa Clara has a pair of guys that do a very good job with supreme versatility as you've been able to get right in the neighborhood of about 14 to 15 points per game out of both Keyshawn Justice along Joseph Varenkic. Both of these guys have been able to combine for about 13 rebounds per game. Varenkic has been able to shoot 80% the free line, 35% per three. Justice more on 42.5% from distance. Santa Clara's hole, they shoot 75.5% the charity's right, 37.5% from three, Jalen Williams, 18 points, three and a half assists, shooting 40% from three-point range. Parker Braun has been able to chip in their six boards per game. P.J. Pipes, 11 points per game. Depth is not necessarily the name of the game for Santa Clara, but their backcourt is still very solid. Jose Quitana has been able to shoot about 40% from three-point range. I like the fact that he's been able to give the team 12 points per contest, generates a little bit over a seal per game. I do think that Leo Marymount is starting to play a little bit or better rest couple after they wound up having some just dumpster fire losses. You take a look at the mountain, they are on a seven-game losing streak, but that said, they wind up losing by one in overtime against BYU. They played relatively solidly against teams like St. Mary's and 
when it comes to Santa Clara. Taking that loss to San Francisco certainly was a little bit of a deflator, and against some of the lesser teams, they've had a little bit of a tough time. So I'm going to be willing to take the points in this spot to wind up setting my total at a 146.5 as I do think that things are going to be rather up-tempo, but I don't think that they're going to be quite this up-tempo. So looking at the under, and I'm going to be taking a look at the points. We move on to 8.53, 8.54 on the banking board. You've got Washington State in the road face off against UCLA. UCLA is between an 8.5 and, and a 9.5 point favorite, and your turn on this game is between 129 and a half and 132. So this one is a little bit all over the place. And when it comes to UCLA, I do mind up saying them as a favorite of nine and a half. So I'm going to be willing to lay the nine here when it comes to UCLA. It has been a bunch that has been really relying upon Johnny Juzang, a guy that was able to star in the NCAA tournament last season. He's been able to come back and he's been able to do a solid job of being able to give you 19 points per game with UCLA. I was expecting a little bit more out of Miles Johnson down low. It's been a relatively no factor for the team. It's been able to give you a block and a half for contest, but not quite what we were expecting out of him. And then you take a look at the flip side. We're Washington State, and I was just expecting more of a prolific offense out of this team. You would be able to have Michael Flowers be able to give you 13.5 points per game and shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range, so he's been able to do a good job there. Andre Yagbovsky, whenever he's been able to get minutes for Washington State, has been good, but the thing is, his minutes have been very sporadic, and as a result, you've got nobody on this Washington State team. It's able to give you more than 5.8 rebounds per game. Effie Odigi, along with Mohamed Gay, both give you right around 5.8 boards per game, and they both are able to give you 7.5 points per game. With Washington State, though, they do shoot just 33.3% from three-point range. DJ Pamba has been able to do a solid job, giving you a little bit over 7 points per contest. Everyone goes Roberts. Is able to chip in their 7.5 points per game. When it comes to UCLA, this is a bunch that they've been able to have Jules Bernard be able to give you 12.5 points, 5 boards per game. So he's been able to do a good job. Jaime Akas, 13 points, 5.5 boards, 2.2 assists, 1.2 steals per game. Doesn't necessarily shoot it well from 3 point range. And for UCLA, it's a team that they began the year playing very up-tempo with regards to their style. They have been able to slow things down a little bit more this season. And for UCLA... They want to begin the year very, I guess you could call it pedestrian on defense. Now they rank in the top 40 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. And for Washington State, sort of a team that they're trending in the direction of being a defense-oriented team in the top 20. With regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, this is a total that I do want to making a 137 half because I do think that you are going to be able to get some late game filling. And I do think that both of these teams are going to be able to put it in from three-point range. So taking a look at the over of the UCLA, pretty much anything of single digits. So nine and a half or less going to be one late. 855, 856 on the big board. Utah sitting the red face off against Sanford. Sanford is a four to five point favorite and your tallest game is 140. When it comes to Sanford, I did wind up saying them as a six and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it against a Utah team that has really not been able to have a lot of consistency outside of Brendan Carlson and Carlson has been dealing with his ailments along with an epidectomy of his own. When it comes to Carlson, do like what you would be able to get out of him. He's been able to chip in there a little bit under 13.5 points per game, 6.5 boards. He's been able to shoot threes as a 7-footer at 34%, but when it comes to Utah, nobody else gives this team more than 9.3 points per game. You've had Marco Anthony along with David Jenkins, Booth Gotch, I'll give you between 9 and 9.3 points per contest. Anthony is able to give you 7.5 boards and 2 assists per game. Gotch is able to shoot only about 32% from 3. Jenkins is able to make about 40% of his threes, and to Utah's credit, they do shoot about 78.5% at the free line. It's a team that they play relatively slowly. Sanford, they're outside the top 225 with regards to possessions per game as well. And Sanford has just sort of been all over the place 
with regards to their defense as well. But the big thing for Sanford is they do rank in the top 50 of the country with regards to most turnovers on a per-possession basis on offense. And they are going up against a Utah team that they're one of the worst teams in all of college basketball being able to generate turnovers. Spencer Jones, Jaden Dallaire both give you 10.8 points. They combine for 8.5 boards per game. And then you got to love the fact that Harrison Ingram has been able to chip in there right around 11.5 points. Three assists per contest. You've got to love every single aspect of this Sanford team when it comes to their stretchability. You'll be able to have Michael O'Connell be able to give you three and a half assists per game. James Keefe has been able to do a good job recently down low for the team, right around 4.6 rebounds per game, at least four boards in each of the last five games. So I do think that Sanford is going to be able to do a relatively solid job on defense. They do shoot just 67% at the free throw line for the season, but I do think that Sanford is going to get it done against a Utah team that's outside the top 200 with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. This is a total in which I do wind up saying at a 135.5, so being mostly 140, I'm going to be taking a look at the under. And with Sanford, made them a 6.5 point favorite, so going to be one of late here. 857-858 is the DK Nation pick of USC playing us to Washington. Washington has signed themselves as a 10 to 10.5 point underdog in your tallest game. They're between 139 and 139.5. The DK Nation pick is going to be the over in this spot because I did wind up saying my total more around a 144 to a 144.5 because you got a Washington team that they rank in the top 40 with regards to possessions per game USC, not necessarily as of tempo, but you take a look at this Washington team on the road. They're giving up nearly 16 points per 100 possessions basis more than they are at home. And this is a USC team that they've got four different guys that give you at least 11 points per game. you got to love what you've been able to get out of Mr. Isaiah Mobley. Now, Mobley has a chance to not be able to play in this game because we did not wind up seeing him in that game against USC. Seems like his condition is improving, but I handicapped this as if he is either going to not play at all or he's going to be rather limited. 14.5 points, 8.5 boards per game. And if he doesn't wind up playing, that's actually going to help out the over a little bit more in and of itself because of what he does defensively. But Drew Peterson, great name, 42% three-point shooter for a USC bunch. They do shoot only about 65% of the charity strike, but they do shoot about 34.7% from three as well. Terrell Brown in the top eight in all of college basketball the guards points per game as he's been able to give you right around 22 per contest. You've been able to have for Washington. Quite a few guys be able to step up with regards to their outside shooting as I do like Cole Badge about being able to shoot 35% from three-point range was a complete afterthought about two seasons ago. He's been able to do a little bit more for the team now. Jamal Bay has been able to give you 19 points, coupled with Emmett Matthews as a collective. Matthews has been able to chip in their eight boards per game, but I do think that this is a spot in which you are going to see USC do a very solid job on offense, take advantage of a Washington team that they don't turn the ball over a lot. Then again, they are a team that they have a little bit of a tough time being able to guard the three-point arc. They are allowing opponents to be able to shoot north of 36% from three-point range in their true road game. So it is a spot in which I did why I'm saying USC as a 14.5-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it here. And with the DK Nation pick, I'm going to be taking a look at the over. This is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we hit the extra games. 859-860 on the betting board. You've got Nevada. They're going to be in the red face off against San Jose State. San Jose State is an eight-point underdog in your tallest game. You're going to be getting it anywhere between a 144.5 and a 145.5. I wound up saying my total at 145. So here at 145.5, I'd be willing and take an under, but at the same time, I would rather have 144.5 over rather than 145.5 under personally when it comes to San Jose State. It's a team that they do rank outside the top 300 
with regards to possessions per game, but they do a very good job of being able to put the ball in the basket, as this is a team that has a collective. They're able to shoot about 38% from three-point range, but they are a team that on the defensive end, they are certainly going to give it up. San Jose State outside the top 250 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. This is a Nevada team that they've got Tesman Cambridge. A couple with Grant Sherfield. These two guys have been able to combine for about 34 to 34.5 points per game. Sherfield has been able to chip in their 6.3 assists per game. Does turn the ball over a little bit over three times for contest. San Jose State not necessarily their forte to be able to go out and pickpocket and for Sherfield. He does shoot 38.5% from three-point range of true road games. Has been able to give this team 16 plus points in three of the last five games, but Umari Moore is right now leading San Jose State with 13.5 points, 5.5 boards, 4.6 assists, shooting 47% from three-point range. Has been a little bit of a walking turnover recently. Four plus turnovers each of the last four games, but he does have guys that are able to help him out a little bit, like a Tibet Groner has been able to give you 8.5 points per game. Trey Smith to be able to chip in their 9 points per contest. Smith shoots right around 32% from three-point range, and then got a guy in Trey Anderson to be able to shoot 45% from the outside, 9 points, 4.5 boards. I do think that he's going to be able to step up after he's had a couple of hot and cold games for this team. You've also got Will Baker on the flip side for Nevada, guy that's 7 feet tall. He's able to shoot threes at over a 40% clip, able to give the team 11.9 points, right around 5.5 points per game for Nevada. They do shoot 75% at the free line, but I do think that both of these teams are going to be turning the ball over a little bit too much. Last time these two teams wound up playing was just a few days ago. That was an 81-72 game on the home floor of Nevada. I think that you're going to get something a little bit similar here when it comes to my handicap. I do mind saying San Jose State has a 7-point dog, so I'm willing to take the points I did wind up making my total a 145, so taking a look at a 144 slash 145 over to go along with points. And now we hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. You go in Las Vegas rotation order with these as well. This begins with 3 of 6, 195, 3 of 6, 196. St. Francis of Pennsylvania is going to be playing us to Long Island. Long Island is finding themselves a one and a half point favorite total, saying we're team 146 and 146.5. When it comes to Long Island, I did why I'm saying them as a three and a half point favorite with regards to Long Island. The reason why I like them so much in this spot is because you do have a very good duo for the team of Ty Flowers, coupled with Earl Penn. Both of these guys have been around each other pretty much their entire high school career. When it comes to what you're able to get out of this dynamic duo, you've been able to get a combined about 36 half points, 15 rebounds. You've got Flowers shooting 40% from three. Now Long Island only shoots about 31% from the outside. They do turn the ball for 14 times per game, but they do a nice job of being able to control the glass with Isaac Conte. Also being able to give you seven half rebounds per game. And then you take a look at the flip side for the St. Francis bunch. Ramirez takes a count over. Has been able to give you 12 and a half points, four and a half boards, three and a half assists per game. And has done a solid job not turning the ball over a whole heck of a lot with right around 2.6 per contest. But St. Francis of Pennsylvania, they're a team that they shoot only about 65 and a half percent at the free line. They do shoot 32% from three-point range, but they've been missing Ronald Giles Jr. has been able to give you 11.5 points per game. Miles Thompson, he does give the team 11.5 points per game. He's a guy that shoots right around 40% from three. He's a six-foot-six combo player. Josh Cohen has been able to give you 6.5 points per game, and you've also got Mark Flagg, who has really been starting to hit the skids a little bit recently, right around 4.5 points, 4.8 boards, but take a look at him recently, and he has been able to give the team three rebounds or fewer in four of the last five games. That should allow LIU to be able to control the glass and be able to control the game. I set LIU as a three and a half point favorite. I'm willing to lay it here. LIU, one of the most up-tempo teams in all of college basketball, so it made this little 151 and a half. So going over as well. 306-197, 306-198. Secret is going to be playing us with Wagner. Wagner is an 8 to 8 and a half point favorite. So it's any working 140 and a half and 141 when it comes to Wagner. Did I have saying them as an 8 point favorite, so won't take 8 and a half with Sacred Heart. Sacred 
Junkyard is a team that they rank in the bottom 25 with regards points allowed on a per-possession basis. But when it comes to Swagner team, you do have some question marks when it comes to outside shooting. You do have Alex Morales, who's able to do it all. 18 points, 7.7 boards, 3.5 assists, shooting 37% from 3-point range. But Wagner shoots 27.5% from 3. They do turn the ball over 13 times per game. And then when it comes to Sacred Heart, you'll be able to have Nico Galletti do a good job down low, being able to give you 11 points, 8 rebounds per game. Sacred Heart as a whole, they shoot 33.6% from distance. You'll be able to have a pair of guys in Aaron Clark along with Tyler Thomas be able to combine for right around 33 points per game. you got Clark being able to give you 4 assists per contest, and he also shoots 86.5% at the free throw line. And then Contrebio Dutrell doing a good job down low, being able to give you 7 rebounds per game. Should be able to help out a team that is most likely going to be facing Wagner without Elijah Ford being in the fold. Ford is someone that has been able to give the team right around 12 points per contest, has been missing the last few games. So that certainly does hamper a Wagner team that prior to last weekend was riding the longest win streak in all of college basketball. I did wind up setting this line at 8 as a result, so won't take an 8.5 here. Made this total 142. Got a sacred art team, not necessarily guarding it very well, but has been able to do a solid job on offense. So taking a look at the over and taking a look at the points, we move on to 306, 189, 306-200. Bryant is going to be playing us at Central Connecticut. Central Connecticut is finding themselves as a 13-point underdog. Dallas game is anywhere team 144.5 and 145.5 with regards to Central Connecticut. Wound up setting them as a 12-point underdog, so I'm going to be willing to take 13 here when it comes to them with Bryant. It certainly has been a team that has been doing a solid job of being able to go up tempo, and Peter Kiss is one of the best scorers in all of college basketball. He's been able to give this Bryant team 24 points per game, but Ryan is collected. They shoot around 31 to 32% from three. Kiss himself shoots only about 27.3% from the outside. Now he's been able to give the team at least 25 points in each of the last five games that he's played in, but Nigel Scantleberry has been able to do a good job with Central Connecticut. Been able to give the team 12 points, 3.2 boards, 3.3 assists. Shoots 41% from three-point range each. Chris Shannon been able to shoot about 39% from three-point range and then you got a guy in Andre Snooty who down low has been able to give you seven rebounds per game. Really the only guy that's able to give you more than four and a half boards per game. You take a look at Charles Pride. He's been very proud for this Bryant team. He and El- Elisaeus have been able to do a good job down low. Elisaeus will so give you three and a half blocks per game with Pride. 18 points right around 8.5 rebounds per game, so he's been very dominant, is really willing to play the role that is needed for this team. He's been able to generate a lot more steals recently as he's been able to give the team a combined 10 in the last four games, but with Bryant, this is also a team that they can get a little bit turnover prone as well as they turn the ball over 14 times for contest. I do take a look at the Central Connecticut State team and I think they'll have a little bit of a tough time in this one, but I'm willing to take 13 here. I think we went a little bit too lofty with Bryant team that has just not been able to shoot it well from three-point range. And when it comes to this total, I did wind up saying it at a 146. You've got a Bryant team that is playing very much up-tempo right now. So taking a look at the over and the points. There is 601, there is 602. Merrimick is going to be playing us fairly. Dickinson, fairly Dickinson. Hopes to be fairly priced as a 7-point underdog. Total on this game is 130. With regards to fairly Dickinson, I did wind up saying them as an underdog of 9.5 points. Pretty much anything of single digits, I'm willing to lay it with Merrimack. Merrimack has been falling on some tough times, but was able to pull off that overtime win against Wagner. And you do have a guy that is going to be a major issue in Jordan Minor. He's been able to give this team just under two blocks per contest. Guy that's able to chip in there right around 13.5 points per game. And then take a look at the flip side and what you're able to get out of Fairleigh Dickinson. And Damian Dunn has been able to get her done. He's been able to give this team right around 14.5 points per game. So 
do, do a solid job there, but really I don't have anyone that's giving you more than five rebounds per game. You don't have a lot of fight when it comes to just what you're able to see in general out of these guys, so that is not great. And when it comes to what you're going to be able to get in terms of facilitation for Fairleigh Dickinson, don't have a single guy that gives you more than 2.2 assists per game. Meanwhile, Mikey Watkins for Merrimack is going to give you right around four assists per game. It's a Merrimack team that they generate 10.5 steals per game when it comes to Fairleigh Dickinson because you don't have that one star guard. You do have a team that is committing right around 13.9 turnovers per game, so that is very much an issue for this team. And when it comes to Fairleigh Dickinson, you just don't have anyone that's able to give you more than five rebounds per game either. It is a spot in which I want to making Merrimack a 9.5 point favorite. One late. Made this little 127.5 as well. I just don't know if Fairleigh Dickinson could hold up there under the bargain when it comes to the total. So, looking at the under and one of the late here with Merrimack. 306.203, 306.204. You've got St. Francis of New York in the red face off against Mount St. Mary's. So Mount is finding themselves anywhere between 6 and 7 point favorites in your tallest game. Between 126.5 and 127.5 when it comes to Mount St. Mary's. Well, I'm saying them as a 13 point favorite. I am just completely out on this St. Francis of New York team. Michael Kubich and Patrick Emelin have been able to do a solid job for St. Francis. Both of these guys give you right in the neighborhood of between 12.5 and 13.5 points per game. They've been able to combine for 12 boards, but both of these guys shoot sub 25% from three-point range. St. Francis, they shoot 30% from three-point range as a collective. They only give you right around 6.5 steals per game, and then Jalen Benjamin has been able to do a good job of being able to run the guard spot for this Mount St. Mary's team. 13 points, four assists, shoots 36% from three-point range. And you've got Josh Reeves now being able to shoot 93% the charity stripe, 35.5% from three-point range. Malezi Afram, Nana Akpu. These two guys down low have been able to combine for 21 and a half points per game. They combine to be able to give you right in the neighborhood of about 12 rebounds per game. Malik Jefferson is able to chip in their seven boards of 1.2 blocks per game as well. Akpu, 1.7 blocks per contest. You've got a St. Francis of New York team that they really can't bomb it from three-point range. They are not going to be able to get the ball inside against this very, very stout Mount St. Mary's team as well. So I do think that it's going to be a case in which St. Francis of New York is going to be in for a long one. So this total 129, Mount St. Mary's in the bottom 50 with regards to possessions per game. So willing to set a little bit of a lower total, but I think that they went a little bit too low here. Taking a look at the over and a little late late here with Mount St. Mary's. 306 to 6 You've got Nichols, and they're going to be playing us to make the eight. Make the eight. Is finding themselves as a nine and a half point underdog. Your tallest game is 149. And when it comes to McNeese State, I did wind up saying them as a nine and a half point underdog. I would rather take nine and a half rather than lay nine and a half here personally, but certainly is a case in which I'm going to be waiting upon a little bit of a line move in the AM on this one because with McNeese State, the big trepidation with really taking them right now is that they only shoot about 63% of the free line. That is one of the worst marks in all of college basketball. Now you're able to say the same thing about Nichols. Nichols is shooting about 62%. At the charity stripe, but with Nichols, this is a team that they've got the best player on the floor. In Ty Gordon, 19 points, three and a half boards, three assists per game, shooting 36.5% from three-point range. He has been able to get the team at least 12 points in four out of the last five games. And then you do have Christian Showmate on the other side for McNeese. He's been able to do a good job being able to give you 12 points per contest. You do have Zach Scott. He's been able to give you 10 points, 1.3 steals per game, able to shoot 43% from three. But all in all, it's a McNeese team that they do generate right around 8.5 steals per game, but they turn the ball over 16.5 times per contest. It's a nickel team that you've got Devontae. Carter coming in from Norfolk State. To be able to give the team 12 points, four boards, three and a half assists, two seals per game. Overall, Nichols, they're able to give you eight and a half seals per game. They only turn the ball over 12 and a half times per game. They don't necessarily shoot it great from three point range, but Manny Littles has stepped up, giving you seven and a half rebounds per game. The team has been without Caleb Huffman coming in off the bench to be able to give the same minutes, but at the same time, you've been able to see the emergence of Pierce Spencer being able to give you nine and a half points per game. That has been very pleasant 
for Nichols when it comes to the spot. I would rather take 9.5 than lay 9.5, but we're going to be looking at a little bit of a line move in this spot. And when it comes to total, set it at 153.5. So look it over and look at that. Take 9.5 or more here with McNeese. 8, 306, 207, 306, 208, Southeast Louisiana. It's going to be in the road. They're going to be facing off against Texas A&M, Corpus Christi. Corpus Christi is finding themselves as a five-point favorite. And your tallest game in between 152 and 153. I wound up setting the total at 154. You've got a pair of teams that are in the top 75 with regards to possessions for game, Southeast Louisiana. Certainly has been able to get a lot of production out of the backcourt. Keon Clergeau, coupled with Gus Okafer, have been able to give you a combined 27-ish points per game. You've got Clergeau being able to give you 3.5 assists per game. Southeast Louisiana to shoot 35% from three-point range. You're able to generate right around 8.5 steals per game. And then Isaac Mushila has really been a game-breaker for Corpus Christi. How about 14.5 points, 10 boards, a steal per game. You do have a... Corpus Christi team that they shoot about 34% from 374% at the charity stripe. And what I think is going to be really intriguing for them, being able to get a little bit more down low. And I do think that you're going to be able to get it. I just you've been able to get seven and a half points, six sports per game out of D. Lazarius Keys. Keys was someone that was a little bit of an afterthought towards the beginning part of the season, but five plus fours now in four out of the last five games. And then when it comes to the Southeast Louisiana team, you've got Jalen Inton who's in the glass being able to give you seven and a half free bonds per game, but I do think that Mushila is going to be able to turn the tide here for Texas A&M Corpus Christi. I don't know if they're going to be able to quite cover this number. Both of these teams relatively solid at the free throw line, and we remember what wound up happening last time these two teams wound up playing. It was Southeast Louisiana who wound up having a little bit of a rough night, 86-71. I think that they're going to try to get revenge. Don't think that they get revenge outright, but only willing to lay up to four here with Corpus Christi. So, going to be taking the five along with the over, 306-209, 306-210. Incarnate Word is going to be playing us to Easton Baptist. This game is a pick-em, and your turnoffs game is 18, 148, and 149, rightfully so that this game is a pick-em. You've got a pair of teams that are just very rudderless right now. You've got Incarnate Word, who has been able to get a little bit out of the backcourt. I do like what you've been able to see out of the Oral Roberts transfer in RJ Glasper. 15 points, 2.5 assists. He's able to shoot 37.5% from three-point range. And Garnet Ward has been able to shoot 77% at the free throw line. They're a team that they do turn the ball over, though, 14 times per game. John Hughes, the third, is able to give you 11.5 points, right around 5.5 points per game. But Northwestern State should be able to control things down low. With Northwestern State, Kendall Coleman has been able to give you 15 points, 9.5 points. Northwestern State, as a collective, they do shoot 35.5% from three, but just 67% at the free throw line. So what Northwestern State does badly, Incarnate Ward does great, and vice versa. You've been able to have Kevel Tiesel who's been able to give you right around 13.5 points per game for this Northwestern State team. I do think that you're going to be able to get plenty of production out of Larry Owens, a guy that has been able to give you right around 8 points, 3.5 rebounds per game. Has been able to emerge for 6 plus points in 4 of the last 5 games for this Northwestern State team. I do think that the Demons are going to be able to win the battle down low, and you've also been able to get right around 4 assists per game out of Brian White to be able to help out with facilitation. Do mind up saying this total at a 144.5. I think that things are going to be a little bit more controlled with Incarnate Ward being a slower and more sloppy team, so take a Look at the under, and I'm willing to take Northwestern State up to two and a half. So as a pick of mine, we wrap things up with 306 to 11, 306 to 12. Longwood, it's a road face off against High Point. High Point hopes to not be a low point as they are a three and a half point underdog. Dallas game is 135 and a half. Rematch of something that we wound up seeing a couple days ago, and I myself wound up making my line three and a half. I'm seeing juice on a lot of these three and a half. So in that case, I would rather have a no juice three and a half with High Point 
With that said, I'm going to be waiting on a little bit of line move in the AM with this game. When it comes to high point, what you've got to love is the fact that this team has been relatively south down low. Zach Austin is able to do a good job being able to give you right around two and a half rebounds per game. And then you've got a Longwood team that they've been able to rely upon. Isaiah Wilkins along Justin Hill out there in the backcourt. These two guys have been able to give you 25 and a half points, just under 10 rebounds. 5.8 assists and 3 seals per game. You do have a pair of guys that have been able to shoot it okay from 3-point range. Wilkins, 37% from 3-point range, but really the other main 3-point shooter is Deshaun Wade, shooting 40% from the outside, giving you 11.5 points per game. And then when it comes to high point, having out there Chris Austin being able to give you a little bit over 2 blocks per game, 14 points per game is big. Now you do want to note that Toby Smith has decided that he is going to be resigning his post over there at high point. So his son, Gigi Smith, who I believe wound up coaching at Loyola, Maryland, is going to be able to get a little bit of a crack in this game as well. Did wind up setting the total at a 135, so I'm going to be taking a look at the under. You've got a pair of teams that they don't necessarily play fast, they don't necessarily play slow, but high point has been having a little bit of a tough time with regards to guys outside of John Michael Wright being able to score. John Michael Wright, 19 points per game, shoots 37.5% from three. Rest of the team, they shoot right around 31% from three-point range. I've been able to get a little bit more out of Jaden House as well. A guy that's able to give you 12 points per game, but certainly has been a little bit of a rough one out there. I would rather take three and a half rather than lay it here with high point and with the subtle set it at a 135 diving under and that will wrap things up for the Thursday edition of Coast to Coast Hoops now part of the VEASAN family of podcasts if you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast Coast to Coast Hoops you're able to subscribe wherever your podcasts Apple Podcasts Google Play Spotify Stitcher and TuneIn if you've got a question comment segment idea what have you for this podcast you have one or two ways we offer those in first one is my Twitter timeline at Jaris41 keep in mind letters here maybe does not matter so as per usual please send these into the timeline and the other way is find an Apple Podcast review if you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. Then from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via the five-star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, which means coming at you again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.